Hello and welcome. My name is Timp. They call me Axial. And I am known as Herfy Durfy. And this is Go Mode, a link to the past randomizer podcast. Here we are, guys. Here we are. It's finally happening. I I never thought this day would come, but it has. When I first thought about, you know, starting a, a podcast like this about randomizer, the first thing I went to is, well, I'm going to have to talk about Ice Palace at some point if I do that. And I, I, you know, we did it anyway. We started it, but here we are. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's sort of, you know, if you follow the trajectory that we've been going, uh, you've kind of probably figured out that it's inevitable we end up talking about this. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make it any easier knowing that it has to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's... No. Uh, I personally think Ice Palace gets a worse rap than it des- deserves, but it's still a lot to talk about. So yeah, that's pretty much what you said. You know, when we first talked about this at the very beginning, you know, when we were first starting up the podcast, you were like, "It's really not that bad." Like, you know, I'll, I'll walk you through it, and I said, "Sounds great." Mm-hmm. And I did not work on the outline for this one, folks. I was, <laughs> I did not even touch it because this is an X. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An, an axial special. So, uh, yeah, if the organizational structure is a little different, it's all my fault. You can send in your your tweets and comments uh, to us directly, and you know, join our Discord and tell me how you don't like the uh, the organization. Well, uh, <laughs> let me just you know, spoiler alert. I read it, and I feel like even just reading it, I learned so much. So, I actually I, I am excited to talk about Ice Palace. Um, no. Knowing that I'm actually going to learn some things about it now. Um, so, but before we do that, um, you know, that will take a long time and we have some news. We actually have quite a bit of news. So, uh, th- this could be a long one, folks. So, so let's go ahead and, and start with, uh, start with some updates on tournaments. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. So let's start with the, the big one, the fall 2018 tournament. Yeah. Um, here, yeah, we are down to our top four we're recording on saturday the 26th always like to kind of give a note about the date um but as of right now we are at our top four we have willard j bradley uh up against alg andy and uh we have Korek versus thelaine so that's the top four let's take a look back at some of these past rounds and, and talk about what has transpired well i know we talked a lot about how you know, Kyong92 was really coming out and having a great tournament, you know, got into the bracket stage without taking any losses, and Kyong92 ran up against uh, Willard J. Bradley and uh, finally took a took a loss, Yeah, uh, going down 2-1. to one. Yeah. Yeah. GG to Kyong92, incredible run through the qualifiers, and all the way up until this point. Um, was definitely a favorite to uh, take take it all home. So, uh, GG and, and definitely well played. Um, but definitely hats off to Willard J. Bradley as well. Um, they're they're pretty active on Twitter. They've been kind of tweeting about their experience through the through the tournament. That's been kind of cool to see as well. Um, just playing really really well right now. So um, definitely looking forward to seeing seeing them square off against Andy. Yeah, big shout out to Willard. I think uh, he did a great job. Uh, not to take away from him and his achievement at all. I'm a little bit sad to see Kyong go 
as you guys were saying, he was almost undefeated. I think the only one that took a game off of him was uh, Super Nintendo in the first round of the brackets. Yep, other than this uh, quarterfinals match, that was the only match Kyung92 lost the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. So he absolutely had a great run and uh, did very well. And uh, I was really hoping he would advance, uh, as I said, not to take away from Willard's great playing and achievement of making it into the semifinals, but... Just a little personal bias there. Same goes for uh, Furane versus Andy. Of course, uh, Andy kind of, you know, when you talk with people who watch these tournaments, Andy always kind of the favorite to advance and go far into tournaments, I would say. Uh, he's he's yeah, definitely... To, uh... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, to make a metaphor, since the, you know, American football Super Bowl is coming up, uh, Andy is sort of like the New England Patriots of Rando. You know, always is, always can count on him there in the later rounds. Yeah, I feel like people are, are going to be upset that you said that. <laughs> I don't know there why or how, but I feel like they will. There might be some people who are upset about that. I can, I can't really comment on that because I have absolutely no idea about American I, football. <laughs> I thought you were going to liken him to Tom Brady, and that would have been really probably oh. <laughs> oh, I want to do that to Andy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, Furaim also had a very great run. Uh, he defeated Solsky and DT. Uh, he un- undefeated, so to speak, in the whole brackets, except for uh, even took a game off of Andy, just as Keong took a game of Willard. So, both of these guys, also two friends of mine, so shout outs to them. And of course, congrats to Andy and. Willard for making it into the semifinals. It's going to be an exciting one, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Who do you uh, who do you feel's favored there? Well, I feel like the crowd favorite and the crowd pleaser is Andy, kind of. Though Willard has really ramped up and you know like grabbed a lot of fans. He managed to finally make partner on Twitch and got yeah. more viewers and everything. So he's, he's he's coming up as well. So it's it's kind of hard to tell, to be honest. I don't know. They've both been playing really well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard call because... So, you know, Andy has obviously had a lot of past success. Um, but Willard just, you know, can knock somebody off who only had one loss throughout the tournament. So clearly Willard is, you know, playing excellent right now. And I don't know if you say, okay, go with the the person on a hot streak or go with someone who has, you know, shown kind of a a history of of playing well. And and not to take anything away from Andy, Andy only has lost that one match to Furaim in Mm -hmm. the bracket stage. So I I think if you, you really forced me to pick what I think is going to happen. I think Andy's going to edge out Willard J. Bradley, but it could be very, it's going to be very close. You know, it could come down to, you know, a gamble in the the final match. Yeah. So a quick reminder for people, um, in case you hadn't heard us talk about it in the past or weren't aware, Young92 is the developer of Z3rsim.com, which is a link to the past randomizer simulator you can play on your mobile phone or desktop. Um, And it's a really great way to practice routing. But, this dude, like, made that, you know? So he, he has such a strong understanding of the game and of routing. And honestly, for Willard J. Bradley to have, um, you know, edged him out in this tournament is, is really impressive. So I kind of like Willard here. I think, you know, to have that kind of skill to be able to, I don't know if it was through execution or through routing, because unfortunately I didn't get to see any of those matches, but that's going to stand for something. They seem to be on a real hot streak right now. So that's that's my that's my bet. 
Yeah, and major shout-outs to Kyung92 for Z3R, because this episode would not have happened without Z3R, and we'll talk about that more in a bit. (laughs) That's cool. Um, Yeah, all right. Anything else about the fall tournament? This this is, like, where it's exciting, so this is is really cool. I'm excited Um, to see how this plays out. I do want to say, so I know we talked a lot about, you know, kind of I'm looking at the challenge, and, and Willard and Andy are sort of the top, semifinal but let's talk a little about the the bottom one uh Cora yeah, versus for sure the lane oh yeah uh, i don't want to ignore them but um the lane so you know we're taught we were talking up how you know the lane has played you know uh you know, willard and andy have have played really well but uh i'm looking here and uh Korik has not lost a match in the brackets every match was 2-0 Oh, wow. So maybe we should talk, be talking about Korik as the favorite, not just in the semifinals, but to go all the way. Because I don't know how I mean, you get this far without losing a match. Yeah, I both. First, um, a little bit of a disclaimer here for me personally. Again, Korik as well as the lane to good personal friends of mine. But for me personally, Korik might right now be the person with the best routing skills and decisions in all of Link to the Past randomizer. Okay. He, I mean, you have to be to go, you know, to go six and zero through the first three rounds of the brackets. Yeah. I mean, that's Seriously. that's unbelievable. Uh, he he's really like watching his matches. It's sometimes kind of it's kind of amazing sometimes what he pulls off. Not really, you know, the execution. He's good at execution too. I'm not saying he's like a total slump or anything, but the execution is good to very good. But his routing decisions and everything. He talked about it a while ago, uh, and uh, I was reading what he was saying, and he also does something similar to you, Axial, in his real-life job, where he has to do, uh, with, where he has to, like, calculate numbers a lot, and, you know, like, percentages, and what's more likely, and what's a better decision, stuff like that, and he says he constantly iterates in his head from all the possible places that he can go to next with the items he found, and he takes everything into account, and his decision-making is really something to behold. Yeah. Aspire to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it, it is a little interesting because, you know, for the folks who are not, you know, super plugged into the tournament, the, the format changes a little bit here in the semis. We go from a best of three to a best of five, and you got to think there if you are more of a consistent player that is going to pay off for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something that really comes into play there. I mean, with Rando, it's always a little bit of a crapshoot because, you know, you might just get that seed where the Itrod is in that one place you didn't check just because, you know, whatever, your gut feeling didn't tell you to go there or your calculations didn't tell you to go there. So you can't ever really say for sure. But on the averages, as you were saying, more consistency through more number of games is going to be important. Yeah to, yeah, to make another analogy, it's kind of like how in baseball you go from a best of five to a best of seven, and suddenly a team's pitching matters a lot more because they need to be a lot more consistent to get out of those rounds of seven. Mm-hmm. I, I can do more sports metaphors, guys. <laughs> <laughs> baseball, yeah, I love a good sports metaphor, but baseball is just not my cup of tea. So. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll next. I'll make sure to make a like handball or or football metaphor next, so that I'm not leaving out any Europeans. 
Yeah, I, I think the only thing that you can probably get me with, maybe basketball and probably soccer or football, as it should be called. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree it should be called football because you actually use your feet. Mm-hmm. This is making me uncomfortable. Anything else to say about the football <laughs> tournament? No, I think um, uh, we're, we're pretty good. I guess we can talk yeah. about the lane a little bit. Yeah, I, I want to say let's talk him. about the lane so everybody kind of has a time in the sun. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only reason I hadn't mentioned these guys before, honestly, is just I, I'm, you know, just not as familiar with them. But if you guys have seen some of their matches and know a little bit about their style, I'd love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what I can say about Delane is that he's just an all-around very solid player. Uh, I don't think he's, like, super exceptionally good in routing like Horek or super extremely perfect execution like you see from an Andy or something. But he's just all around very solid. He makes good decisions, and it's gotten him far. Clearly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there he is in the top four, you know. Yeah, there's something to be said for being kind of a balanced player. And uh, I, I will say, you know, so looking at the our four finalists, you know, Willard, uh, Jay Bradley, Andy, Corrick, and Thelaine, none of them are really big gambler types from what I've seen of their play. You know, they... they know what they're good at whether it's execution or routing or or sort of a, an overall uh picture and they stick to their strengths they're not they're not the types that are going to say i'm going to go you know check uh you know pedestal just because because i'm a crazy gambler you know they've got a plan in motion and uh i think it really speaks to how in the lower levels gam sure gambling might win you a race might win you a qualifier but it's not really a strategy you want to lean too hard on because when you start going up against people who maybe have, have you know, clearly are outpacing you, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Well, and also, remember we talked about this tournament. Uh, one of the conceits of it is that you can choose different modes, and we found that a lot of the higher-level players were picking all dungeons uh, at hard difficulty, and, you know, I think the reason they were picking, you know, we kind of decided the reason they were picking all dungeons is because it leaves a lot less to chance when you just have to do every dungeon. You don't have to worry about accidentally dipping swamp and finding out that you didn't need to do that. And you just wasted like five minutes because you have to do everything. So I, I think you guys are absolutely right when it comes to consistency. That's that's really where you can kind of show strength through an extended period of time. Yeah. I mean, and also they're picking you know, tendency to pick that actually buffs their sort of inherent strength in whether it be routing or execution because if you're a lower skill player you know and i saw this myself whenever i was kind of looking through how to do in the the qualifiers and things like that you almost have to gamble because you know i know for example if i ever went head to head against andy uh or you know any act or willard J. bradley or Corrick or thelane uh i'm going to be completely outclassed if we go the same route. I've got to go with mm -hmm. the extremely low likelihood plays. Galaxy brain check. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. going into Swamp Palace without the flippers, guys. You know? <laughs> it's the only way. You're gambling on that, that hammer <clears throat> in the first chest. Yeah, but I mean, it, I think it speaks to how, you know, the way the tournament was set up uh, really, I think, did a good job of making sure that the, you know, quote-unquote best players made it the deepest because somebody who was maybe a lower skill player get more gambly you know they're just gonna their luck's gonna run out because they're not going to be able to pull off 
all the gambles they can when they're doing all dungeons or enemizer or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were there were some complaints from people like random people from all skill levels, I guess, that were like, "Well, we think it's a little bit crappy that you have three choices for everything except for either all dungeons or crystal goal," because as you guys were just talking about, it favors like all dungeons is kind of favors people with better execution because you're less likely to be screwed over by a lucky location or whatever you want to call it. And uh, people were like, well, it's it's kind of crappy that the better seed can, at least for one game, guarantee that, uh, well, I mean, you know, you have one choice that's your own anyways, so you'll probably choose all dungeons if you're the higher seed and feel better about your execution. And then in the third match, should it come to that, you can basically guarantee again by vetoing the crystal goal that you'll get all dungeons again. So people were a little bit upset about that, and I can kind of understand that, but on the other hand, as you were saying, it favors the people who are actually better at the game. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves a good upset, you know. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, the guy that cheers for the Empire in Star Wars. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it is more fun to, I think, see the top players play off against each other. And as much as I would love to have seen, you know, someone who was making crazy gambles and, you know, clearly did not have the routing or execution of everybody else making it deep. And there are, you know, to to hold on for a second, there are some players who made it into the group stages and, and performed well in the group stages who did use some of these kind of high-variant strategies. It's not to mm-hmm. say this was some yeah. monolith of, you know, all dungeons all the time, you know, right. guys and gals winning. But, um, you know, I, I just as you move into the brackets, it becomes a little harder to, uh, you know, use those high-variant strategies and have them pay off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there were definitely some people that were just like, you know, just like slam picking retro every single time, and they're just like the retro master, and, and they they beat their group that way. Yeah, you know? like I'm sure that probably happened in at least one group. But yeah, yeah. Consistency, you really can't, uh, you know, you, you can't say too much about it. It's it's pretty pretty important in a, in a tournament like this, and and that kind of leads us to another thing I want to talk about before we mention the other tournaments is. Uh, the official admins of this tournament have actually come out to say um, they're going to be taking a little bit of a break um, when they would normally be starting a new tournament here up, you know, in February or March. Um, they're actually going to be postponing that. And the reason cited was burnout. Uh, this tournament has been going on for a really long time. It's called the Fall 2018 Tournament. And here we are, you know, almost uh, an entire month into the new year. So... Um, you know, tournament admins and, and volunteers, I think, all wanted to take a little break. The runners, especially, you know, obviously the ones that are this far in the bracket, wanted to take a break. And so, yeah, there there is going to be, you know, a little bit of a step back from here. So what did you guys think when you heard that news? I thought it was personally, I mean, I'm a little sad because, you know, I enjoy watching and it'll, I'll have to watch dailies or something like that in the meantime. But I, as someone who has been playing now for, you know, about a year... I totally agree on the burnout. You know, I'm I try to play about a seat a week and even then I was like I good god, I don't know how these people that made it into the group stages or bracket stages do it because they're playing like, you know, two, three, four matches a week. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. it was I mean, I think it was great that this tournament I I will say as of right now looks like a huge success. I think the community's really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. 
but it has been pretty onerous in terms of participation level. And you basically, you know, if you're someone that has, you know, a regular, you know, nine to five job or, you know, a, a spouse or children, you know, kind of hard for you to participate and, you know, balance all your other life things. And, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of folks, this will be a good time to kind of recharge, focus on other games, other elements of your life, and we can all come back in the, you know, summer or fall. I mean, again, to point out, this tournament, we were doing the fall fires back in, what, August? And, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, literally, I will use to talk sports again. So the, you know, American Super Bowl is next Sunday, and the American football season starts the first week of September. This t- Just this tournament has gone on longer than a, you know, major American sports season. <laughs> that's crazy when you put it like that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's so long. That's long. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm totally in favor of it. I totally get it. And, and remember, there's way more to randomizer than just the tournament, the main tournament. You know, like, we're still going to be playing. You know, we have our weeklies that we like to do. Um, you know, there's going to be daily races. There's, you know, just downloading a seed and just playing it for fun. You know, I know that sounds crazy sometimes with so many excuses to play randomizer, but you can just play it on your own too, you know? So if this is news that you've heard that is, you know, disappointing to you, just know that there's a lot of other outlets to, you know, enjoy randomizer. And overall, I, I 100% am going to be in favor of somebody avoiding burnout. We've talked about this before and we're all big proponents of, you know, mental health and, and you know, enjoyment, uh, healthy enjoyment of the game. So I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different from me since I was kind of involved in the decision to, right. to take a break. But basically, I can really, I could just reiterate what you guys all just said. So that was really part of it. I just want to maybe give a little bit more background info on how we came yeah. to that decision. Because right, I think yeah. uh, the, the thing is, a lot rando the viewership and also the volunteers be it trackers or commentators or restreamers or whatever else uh we constantly get new people in the community is still growing not as much as it was but you know there's still an influx of new people or people changing out whatever you might want to call it and i understand that for someone who maybe saw this as their first maybe their second tournament maybe participated in it or volunteered to commentate or something in this for their first time it's going to be sad for them to not have an you know an immediate follow up like it used to be for the past two or so years where every half year or something an official tournament was happening but a lot of the people have already dropped from the admin status and kind of said, well, we're kind of done doing all this organizing stuff and whatever. We were just kind of burned out. We want to we want to keep playing, but we don't want to do it anymore. And the current staff has been involved with the tournaments in some form since, you know, kind of their inception, more or less. So the burnout is from us as well as the viewers who are almost oversaturated with rando viewing at this point. <laughs> Uh, it's just insane and uh just to not drag this out too long the last thing i want to touch on is uh, the 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 thing that a lot of people don't think about that you also mentioned already is the player participation part Uh, you guys have to think about how many games these guys have played from the beginning they played in all the qualifiers then they had to play 15 matches in the group stage 
And after those 15 matches, they had to play one, two, three best of threes. Most of them going to game three. Not all of them, but most of them at least uh, for the last ones. And now they have to, depending on how far they get, of course, but now they have to play two more best of fives. So that's like, I don't know how many games, 50? <laughs> it's Yeah, yeah I, I, I looked at that actually because I was curious too. So I have played something like, because I keep a track of every seed I do for, you know, comparing myself and growth over time and a growth mindset. And I have played mm-hmm. something like 65 seeds. So mm-hmm. this tournament alone, if you made it and won the whole thing, or not even won, it just made it and played out the whole thing to the maximum amount, would be more games than I've played in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's insane. Yeah. And uh, just for the background information I was talking about in the beginning, we always kind of felt pressure to keep the official tournaments going because if we don't do something, someone else will step up and do something, which we're obviously not against, but we didn't want to make it seem like it's a replacement tournament for the official one or like the people are slacking or like we can't keep up the quality or something like that because that's a big concern for us to always have like good quality stuff going on yeah and there there actually is one tournament that is starting up that is sort of a a community tournament um that will Mm -hmm. take place in this time and i think this is a perfect segue to talk a little bit about it um this uh actually axe you you were you the one that brought this to us? Yeah, I, so I, I yeah. you know, I, I try to keep, you know, I, I don't participate that much, but I keep an eye on our, you know, kind of sister communities, little communities out there, one of which is the, the Reddit community, so shout outs to, you know, r slash A-L-T-T-P-R. Um, they do, you know, weeklies, they do some kind of fun gimmicky stuff too, so if you're kind of wanting to, like we said, you know, you're kind of burned out on tournament stuff, you want to do some kind of wacky stuff they have like a wacky seed every week which is always funny to uh to to read about but um i think it was last week there was a proposal and what we'll link to it but they're going to do a plando tournament starting on february 1st Uh, and for those who don't know what a plando is it's uh, short for planned randomizer and i'll just read out really quick the way uh, kind of the, the pitch here they had. They said, um, if you want to take a spin on things and want to test a seed created by some twisted minds, you might be interested in this. Options will be mutually agreed to by the runners for each race. However, normal difficulty must remain to preserve the default item pool. The Plando tournament will have either six or f- six group stage or four in the bracket stage items manually placed during each race um, where, you know, nor blah, 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 stuff about the modes. Uh, two <laughs> items will be placed by each runner in the group stages, uh, and one item will be placed by each runner in the bracket stage. One item will be placed by the commentary, tracker, restreamer team, and one item will be placed by a audience member in Twitch picked at random before the match. Choices will be revealed upon the race conclusion only, and the group stage will be a double round robin. Uh... This is a really unique idea, and I'm very curious to see how it works out. Um, because I, and I, I don't want to speak for my fellow, uh, you know, co-hosts here, but I'm sort of skeptical of Plandos as a fun thing to both watch and play. And uh, I feel the reason why is that people just try to make them as, 
you know, trolly or, you know, hilarious as possible. Like, oh, man, I'm going to put, you know, a hammer on the pedestal or, you know, other kinds of plays that are sort of a, a pain to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen some plandos that, you know, if you make them gimmicky and you say from the start, like, this is very, very gimmicky. If you figure out the gimmick, you'll have a good time. Um, but with the way this tournament's set up, obviously it's not like the whole thing is planned. So maybe it'll work out a little better. I don't know. What do you folks think? Yeah. So first of all, I want to say uh, kudos to the Reddit community for, you know, to, to the user there that stepped up and proposed this and, you know, wanted to try to put something something together. In one of our first episodes, uh, we mentioned something like that. And I think I even actually called them out by name and said I wanted them to start one. And here they are doing it. So I think that's awesome. Um, the thing with Plandos is actually I want to go to the Rando website and read the quote that's at the top of the page when you go to uh, generate custom game. Uh, it comes up with some text that says, Welcome to Customizer. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And <laughs> I, think that, uh-huh. I think that pretty much sums up my feelings about uh, Plandos in general. I do like the idea of kind of mix, you know, it's not a complete Plando. It's just one or two items, you know, placed by different people. I do think that's a cool idea. And, I, and you know, I'm interested to see it. I'll, I'm not going to just like completely poo-poo it right away. But the thing about the thing about Plandos is the the... I think people maybe undervalue how important the RNG is in Randomizer. Like, the fact that it was not touched by a human, but instead generated randomly using an algorithm is what makes it uh, manageable, like palatable. Like, you know, without that, it just becomes somebody messing with you. Like, Mm -hmm. you, you start to try to think about, like, oh, where would they put this? Or, like, oh, I bet they probably would think it'd be funny to do this. And a lot of times you could just make a beeline for, like, the most whack location that you would ever have to check, and you're gonna find progression there. You know? It's just, like, they just don't really work the way that Randomizer does, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a thing in statistics where, you know, I, I don't do kind of forensics work, but I know some folks who do, you know, forensics being, like, accounting fraud and things like that, and they say, like, yeah, it's always really funny when people th- think they're doing something that looks random because humans are really bad at figuring out if something is random and they do things that look random and they are obviously patterns and it just is it's kind of just a flaw of our brains where we do something and think it looks random but it actually isn't and if you know that you can exploit it just like tim's saying yeah that's that's interesting and it makes perfect sense you know i think with rando there there's like you you trust it you know you trust the generator to put things in places and not be biased that's the thing is like when you start to introduce a, a human's bias into where things may or may not be like it just something really important about rando is removed in in, in that you know when you do that so yeah uh, like i said i'll check it out you know i, I think it's cool yeah. props to that I- for starting one I'm definitely going to watch a couple matches just for a for just just from a I'm really curious to see how it goes. I, I think there's really uh, I was just going to say I think you know as far as plan those go I completely agree with you guys I usually don't like them I don't really want to go into much detail about that but this 
it's kind of not the correct name, as you already pointed out, too. It's, you know, people place a couple of items manually. But I yeah. think there's more inherent problems with the proposal that they wrote and how it's going to work out. But I'm not sure in how much detail I should go. Well, I mean, well, you're a, you've organized tournaments before, so, you know, it hasn't started yet. So if there are folks out there listening who are, you know, involved in this tournament or, or running it, could mm-hmm. be that, you know, your advice and insight could help them avoid some things that might make it not work for reasons beyond what we've already discussed. Yeah, like what's your critique? Well, the thing is, I, I just don't think it's very well thought through. So let's go over it again. Let me open the post as well so I can actually read it and don't actually say something wrong. So the first thing is, the first big problem that I personally see as a, a tournament admin is the customizer doesn't let you generate race ROMs, which means A, uh, it uses a different RNG uh, method in the code, and B, it's easier to reverse engineer it. So cheating is a lot easier if you generate a customizer ROM. You also you know, can't keep people from just generating the ROM four hours in advance or whatever the hell. Oh, dang. Which I, which I guess... <laughs> I did not even think of that element. Oh, dang. That's big. Which, you know, I guess they are kind of trying to circumvent by saying uh, the choices won't be revealed until the conclusion of the match. So you won't be able to generate a seed like that because you don't know what your opponent or the chat or whoever else will choose. But then we come to the next problem. So you won't tell people uh, the choices until the conclusion of the race. Let's say, Axial, I'm racing you, and I'm picking to put the ice rod on the pedestal, and you're picking to put the ice rod in Turtle Rock. And what does the admin say to you? At the very least, he has to reveal to you which item I've picked before the race even starts. At the worst, he has to reveal to you that uh, what your where, choice where, where what the your... item is as well, yeah. right. so if you put it in the same spot as I do. Uh, so how does that work? You know, how, how do you figure out or how do you manage to not reveal information to one of the runners that the other runner has because it's their own choice? Or, you know, how do you not reveal information that the person shouldn't have when something like that happens? What happens if they choose, you know, even if they have like six items manually placed in the group stages? Two of them will be placed by each runner. So you already have two items that both runners might be picking because they're the most trolly items. You know, why would you not put boots in Link's house in every seed? But what if the next guy chooses boots in wherever? King's Tomb next. I know that doesn't work by logic. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I had not even thought about I had those. not thought at all about the, uh, yeah, that, that too. That I mean, and that's a, that's a potentially big thing because if. It kind of yeah, undermines it's... the whole idea. Like, I like the general idea. I think it's an interesting concept, but the way it's set up is it just doesn't work, in my opinion. If they can make it work somehow, I'm, I'll be impressed, and I'll watch a couple of games as well. But I think it's just inherently flawed from the beginning. Now, I will say, um, you know, to be fair, the, the if, if you go to this post <laughs> on Reddit, which we'll, we'll link it so you can check it out for yourself, there's also a link to a Discord for this, this tournament and a challenge. Um, there are quite a few people commenting and, you know, quite a few upvotes. I'm not a big Reddit guy, by the way. I don't really know exactly how the system works, but it looks like definitely some uh, posts and 
you know, so there's there's some popular posts people talking about kind of what exactly what we're saying, which is like, mm-hmm. I think this, you know, we maybe need to talk a little bit more about the specifics of this, you know, tournament layout and how things are going to work. And I mean, you know, may, maybe the user that posted this, um, JTN2002 is their username on this Reddit. Um, maybe they just meant to kind of like, you know, put this out there as sort of spitballing and saying like, maybe we could do something like this, but it's like barely two paragraphs. So, you know, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like as with planning anything really in life, you have to think about everything, you know, like you have to try to think of every potential situation and what would happen if then, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it looks like there's a lot more maybe to kind of nail down with this one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one critique, and, and this is a kind of constructive criticism with, with some ideas on how to fix it that came to my head, is maybe what you could do is you could have the runners pick a lo- you know the locations and then the commentators slash you know, audience member pick what item goes there. So maybe, you know, they both say, because if they both say, well, I want pedestal to be something that's placed, mm-hmm. well, then there's no kind of informational disparity if you know if it's like oh well it they picked things where both picked pedestal one person picked you know link's house and one person picked cold stare well okay nobody has any kind of extra info here yeah i think that yeah like what even is the point at that point like what yeah. are you playing plando for you know to me it seems like if you're going to do plando the idea is like oh i'm going to put this item in this place and like ooh, like aren't i so sneaky and tricky but like if you if you can't choose the item and the place then like that whole effect is lost yeah. yeah, and I think for this tournament specifically, at least the way it's set up right now from the post, it seems to be more of, uh, like, it's less of a plando in the way that you're trying to troll your opponent as much as you can. It's more of a, I want to make it convenient for myself. If it also happens to troll my opponent, that's, of course, you know, a bonus. Well, but, I don't know. I think I would set something trolly and know that it's there and make a beeline for it. Yeah, well, like, yeah I would you do could do like, that. Like, be like, oh... I'm going to put 20 rupees on pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, now I know that it's not a pet seed. It's not seed. a pet seed. Yeah, My true. opponent won't know that. That's a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A massive advantage. So I, I don't want to, uh, you know, keep crap, crapping on this too much. No, I want to no, give yeah. it a chance to... Yeah, I, I, and, I, yeah. and I, I do want to say if there's anyone out there, you know, I don't want your, you know, and you're really excited about this, please, you know, if you're excited about it, that's great. You can be excited about it. You can, you know, want it to go well. I... I don't want it to be a train wreck or a disaster. I just have some concerns that while it's a pretty innovative idea, and I want to give a lot of credit to that, that there's going to be some execution problems. And I want to hopefully, you know, hope that the tournament organizers, you know, are are trying to figure out where these potential pitfalls could be and correcting them before things start rather than, going through and you're five matches in you go oh god it's not working mm-hmm. how do we fix this because that's a bigger problem to fix and i want oh, yeah. people to be you know i want people who are putting these things on to be successful and that's why i'm being a little critical and it's not because i think the people running that doing this are are idiots or that they shouldn't do it or anything like that i just i don't want them to get you know a, a cool idea to go out there and even if it's a little bit flawed uh to kind of fall flat on its face and then that sort of makes the people who came up with it feel like well i'm never going to try that again yeah that's mm, no you know, yeah. that's absolutely not what we want but 
Yeah. So, uh, speaking of tournaments, though, we, we, we've got to keep it moving, guys. We have, this episode's going to be two hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, as, it's as long as Ice Palaces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very fitting. So, um, let's, let's just do a quick look into the Challenge Cup. I uh, want to keep people updated on that. It is also drawing to a close. It's not quite in the top four. Um, it is in the top five. We have we have uh, one of the uh, sides of the top four figured out. That's Frostbite thirty thirty and Chizame. Um, uh, Chizame, maybe I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. But um, we've talked a little bit about Frostbite thirty thirty before, um, and uh, Chizame looks like has has had a really great run through this tournament as well. Is only excuse me, has only lost one game um, all the way up to this point. So we'll be looking forward to seeing how that goes. And then we have uh, Espeon65536 in for sure. Uh, and then either Hacksaw or Os28 um, into that last spot to round out the final four. So um, it's cool to see that there's this secondary tournament that's like pretty much kept up pace and is sort of at the same point as the, as the main tournament. Um, I know, you know, it's it's not necessarily the matches that people will seek out, but it's something that's on. And a lot of times, and I know this is a case for me, when I want to watch Rando, it's like I can't necessarily make time for a specific match always. But when I have time, I can like pull up speed gaming or randomizer central or, you know, whatever and maybe catch a match. And sometimes it's one of these. And, um, you know, obviously these are all really talented runners who could probably go toe to toe with a a lot of the folks that were in the group rounds of the fall tournament. So mm-hmm. just wanted to provide a quick update into that. Do you guys have any any uh, passing thoughts? There's one more tournament I want to talk about. but uh, I just really want to echo what you said in that uh, people might not, you know, be so, or it might not be as visible as the main tournament because it, the main tournament is mostly on SG and this is mostly on Randomizer Central or ALTTPR Fando or whatever. So uh, I, I think it's definitely worth checking out and seeking out. So if you want to watch some of those matches, definitely do. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing the folks that made it deep into this are going to be big-time competitors in the next tournament because they are getting a lot of experience with the, you know playing high-level competition. Because, you know, to make it clear, you know, this is originally intended for the people who didn't get through the, the qualifiers. And if you've made it this deep into the Challenge Cup, you're probably someone who was, you know, if you went back and played the qualifiers again, might qualify. Because you've, you know, improved a lot over mm-hmm. that time. Yeah, it's like the, uh, another sports analogy incoming. It's like the, you know, the AAA leagues and then moving up to the majors <laughs> the next season, you know, getting called up to the pros. I really got to stop you guys from that, that was, in the future. That was a God. baseball one. What am I even doing? Yeah, yeah really. Geez. What is happening here? God. Let's, all right, let's get out of here. Um, so the, the last tournament I wanted to check in on is, you guys remember we talked about the SMZ3 uh, tournament that actually has uh, cash prizes on the line. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I wanted to check back in. Um, Andy, also in the uh, top four here, which is pretty pretty crazy he's he's in the top four of two major uh link to the past related tournaments um he's actually going up against solsky who we've we've also uh, mentioned recently we were talking about last episode so they are facing off um to see which of the two of them will go into the finals um and then we had hitaka versus os 101 
and OS101 beat Hitaka to make it to the finals. So OS101 is waiting to see whether they'll face off against Andy and uh, Andy or BD Solsky. Uh, I've commentated, uh, I think, three times before in this fall 2008 tournament we were just talking about. One of those times was watching OS101 play um, a retro match. Um, so cool to see them pop up again here. And, and I guess for that reason, I'm, I'm going to root for them in these finals. <laughs> so, um, but I'll provide a link to that challenge as well so people can check in on that. Again, there's there's cash on the line for that one. So, you know, keep your eye on that. Um, and I think that's it for tournaments. Man, there's there's a lot of them now, but soon they'll we'll all be able to take a breath. Thank God. yeah um so uh are we ready to uh get a little chilly um no i mean i'm a little hungry i wouldn't be opposed to some chili depends (laughs) 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 that's a payback for all the sports analogies already okay this is punishment and so as if having to do ice pals is not enough now we're being Pun-ish. Okay, let's go. All right. Ice Palace. I'm cold, guys. Ice Palace. Here it goes. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I did not even write this outline this time. So I'm just going to send it straight over to Axe. So excited to learn about Ice Palace. (laughs) Take it away. All right. So. Hey, guys. Tim here in editing mode. Just real quick before we begin our Ice Palace deep dive, I wanted to jump in front of something here. In Axial's audio, you're probably going to hear some background noises. Uh, you're going to hear some veggie chopping. You're going to hear some dishwashing. You're going to hear some skillets sizzling. Um, I did my best to scrub it out and, and mute it where we couldn't edit around it, but there there's definitely still some in there. And all I wanted to ask of you your listener is to just try to do your best to focus on what Axe is saying and listen past the noise because it's really, really good info. I definitely learned a ton while we were recording. And if you're able to just do your best to ignore that background noise, I think you w- you will too. And uh, in the future, we'll, we'll try to do a better job of avoiding distracting background noises while we record, if, if at all possible. Um, so thank you for understanding and let's do this. Ice Palace. Uh, at this point, we've you know covered. We're we're getting into the dungeons that are uh, the ones that people don't want to go to now. People are like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I love Thieves Town. I love Pod. I don't know if people love Swamp. I think Swamp's great. Um, other than Left Side, but the next three Ice Palace, uh, Misery Mire, and Turtle Rock, you're gonna get some start to see some more negative opinions about them. <laughs> and I think the most negative opinions in the game come on Ice Palace because, uh, and we're already almost an hour into this episode, and we're going to go uh, for a bit longer. So if you need to take a break, you know, get some, uh, you know, get, get a glass of water, go to the bathroom, you know, get, get a nice coffee. You get know, a warm blanket. Yeah, this, this is going to be a pit. Yeah, um, that's the nice but, thing about a podcast. You can just pause it and come back later. Yeah, but let's talk about getting to Ice Palace. So, you know, you've actually gone past Ice Palace likely a bunch of times already in the Light World because the Ice Palace entrance is in the middle of Lake Hylia on that island. And uh, by logic, to get there you need the most items I think we have so far for anything. You need the flippers, the titan's mitt, 
and the moon pearl just to enter the first room. Then you're going to need the a source of fire, whether that's the fire rod or bombos, a damaging source of fire, uh, to actually get past the first room and finish it. And then you're also going to need the hammer to get to the boss. Um, there are some glitches and stuff that you can do to sort of get around this. Like if you don't have flippers, but you really, really want to go to Ice Palace, you can fake flipper in. I don't typically see a lot of people doing this, but I guess you can. And uh, if you're really crazy and you want to try doing this without the Moon Pearl, you can if you walk in and die. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. Yeah. So that's kind of like the minimum requirement. You also possibly, if you're doing a full clear, could need the hookshot. And mm -hmm. you might need... Uh, well, you're also, you might also need the red cane, if depending on how things are configured. But we're actually going to teach you guys something you can do so that you will never actually, actually need the red cane. But it still might be helpful to have. Um, the other thing to know is, for this dungeon more so than I think any other... You need to bring a potion unless you are just a god at execution. Um, yeah. You do not want to get to the end of this dungeon, look at your magic bar, and go, oh, sh I don't have enough magic. Yeah. Yeah, this one uh, and Turtle Rock and Skull Woods, I think, are the big three that are like, you need to have your magic affairs in order. Um, especially since there's not really a great way to refill magic if you do run out near the end. There are a couple ways, but they're not great. And they're certainly not yeah. full magic, which is what you're going to need. So. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, in Skull Woods, you know, we talked a little bit about how you can, you can duck back in and you can go get that full magic pot um, if you really desperately need it. But here, there's no, there's no rescue. If you come in here and you run out of magic at the end, the only th real option you have is to die here. <laughs> and that is probably the worst time loss in the game. Yeah, Ice Palace, it takes so long to even get to, like, the part that even matters. Yeah. To have to die and go through that first little bit again is just extremely time-consuming. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about when you want to go to Ice Palace. Herf, when do you want to go to Ice Palace? Well, uh, potentially, if I can avoid it, I'd rather not go ever, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, hey, since, since we're playing rando, uh, you're probably going to be going there at some point. I personally would say just because of the requirements of even getting in and being able to progress through the dungeon a good length, uh, it's probably going to be in the later parts of your playthrough. Uh, of course, sometimes, you know, the, the seed throws you for a loop and you go there as your second dungeon or something. You never know. You, you usually want to go there if you have no other choices, which sounds stupid, but, you know, if your only other choices are more time-consuming, then Ice Palace is always a good choice. Of course, if it's a crystal, you're gonna have to go there sooner rather than later anyways. And if you can finish it, if you have everything required to full clear it, I would definitely recommend doing it and not, you know, slacking on it just because you don't like Ice Palace. You never know what's hiding in there. 
Yeah. And, I think, uh, yeah, three items. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That stops a lot of people is the fact that they don't like Ice Palace. I've certainly been guilty of that in the past. I'm trying to get better at it. The thing is, when Ice Palace opens up, it's really, you know, for a lot of people, Ice Palace opens up when you get the Titans mints, if you didn't mm-hmm. already have them, because, you know, that's needed to even get in the door. Um, you know, for the fire source, you've got a couple options, so there's a little bit of leeway there. You can technically do it without the hook shot or the, um, uh, what's the other one? That you, oh, the cane, the red cane. You know, so, like, you can kind of get in there with not a whole lot. So, usually, the Titan's mitts are what get you in there. And that opens up a lot of other stuff, too. So, it's like, you could... Once you get that those Titans mitts, it's like you could do Ice Palace or you could do, you know, Dark Death Mountain and you could probably get into, um, you know, Turtle Turtle Rock at this point. And, and there's just a bunch of other like smaller checks that you need Titans mitts for. So I think a lot of people will do anything but Ice Palace when really a lot of times, you know, it's maybe a crystal, you know, maybe a green pendant. It's got three items. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of potential. That, that That's probably where you should go. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one yeah, last I, thing I, I want to mention as far as to uh, when you should go, or when you're going, rather, I guess, is maybe the better term for that. Um, since the removal of the arrow and bomb capacity upgrades from the item pool and moving them back, <clears throat> excuse me, moving them back to the Lake Hylia Island Ferry, uh, there's no better time in your seat than Ice Palace, assuming you have the money to uh, make a quick trip before you lift that rock that warps you back to the dark world so you can go in and make a quick trip into that cave and buy a bomb and maybe an arrow capacity upgrade since they both give you free refills as well. So you'll be set on bombs and arrows once you go in there and hopefully for the rest of the seed. Yeah, and Ice Palace is a dungeon where you don't want to say like, oh, I'm going to go in here with two bombs. Mm -hmm. That's a very bad idea. Um, I, I know we didn't say it was required, because it isn't, but I would, in the back of my mind, a requirement to go into Ice Palace is a full complement of bombs, whether that's 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say if you're feeling very daring, you know, you could probably do it in five, but you, why why risk it? You know, especially when you can go in and get that, that refill so quickly. Um, you know, if unless you are just feeling super confident, you know you can handle all these many bomb jumps that are coming up and getting ready to come at you here. Um, yeah, just get that refill. Mm-hmm. So overall, let's talk about what the item geography is. There's eight item locations. Uh, that's going to give you three items. The big key, which may or may not be required. Um, actually, by vanilla logic, it is required. But um, again, we're not going to talk very much about vanilla logic for a reason you'll see in a couple minutes and then there are two small keys plus the dungeon trash and the small keys might also not be needed so this is why i think ice palace is a very unique dungeon in that there's a lot of item locations but potentially something like five or you know five of them could be absolute trash that you just don't need at all yeah yeah and this... a long time to get to and this really goes back to what we were saying earlier, where I was saying don't slack on Ice Palace when it opens up. There is something to be said to, you know, hope or gamble on a go-mode Ice Palace and not immediately diving in there. That's true. Yeah, more so, I think, than any dungeon. Yeah, I, I would actually say I think go-mode Ice has the largest difference in, or Ice Palace has the largest difference between go-mode and full clear. Yeah, it's either Ice or Swamp Palace, probably. Yeah, I was going to say maybe Swamp, but yeah, Ice Palace, 
absolutely not having to go and do all these little extra like side rooms and wings to get all these extra chests is is huge yeah go mode ice palace requires zero chest opens Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's huge all right teach teach us how to do ice palace hacks okay so I'm, i'm gonna talk a little bit about how to route this and i'm gonna steal a quote from the great game celeste that um you know when you're thinking about how to ride ice palace just breathe you can do this it's gonna be okay we're gonna get through this all together you're gonna learn how to do this you're gonna execute well everything's gonna be fine you know what i feel better (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so like we were alluding to this is a very very complicated dungeon to route um to the point that actually we were talking a little in the kind of our you know getting ready and and testing levels and stuff that just in researching this i think all of us have learned a little bit about routing it um because the routing is so complicated and Mm -hmm. there's there's really two main routes to think of you've got your vanilla route which is you know if you have played a link to the past in a kind of casual way you might remember you kind of walk in there's you know some switches you have to hit you're going up floors down floors and it's a lot of backtracking it it feels it kind of feels like playing super metroid where you you hit something and then that opens something up somewhere else and you can use that it's just a lot of retracing your steps yeah Um, and just to quickly chime in here i want to say the clearly inferior uh gba port of uh link to the past that sucks in every way imaginable has made one change to ice palace that makes the vanilla routing like 400 million percent better so even they realize that the vanilla ice palace routing is absolute trash wow yeah, I've that's, never played that. <laughs> I, I have, and I, I think it's what they change a, a switch somewhere. Yeah, I think you can like more easily. I think there's just like an extra crystal switch, or you can more easily push that ice block down to the boss room or something without having to yeah. go uh, around the dungeon like three times. So, yeah. so that's vanilla route. And while we are gonna maybe chime in a little bit and say like, oh, by the way, if you're for whatever reason on the vanilla route, this is what would be happening. We are not going to focus on that. What we're going to focus on is the other route, which I call the Ice Palace Bomb Jump, or IPBJ, route. And what this route involves is it assumes that you can regularly, solidly execute what is known as the Ice Palace Bomb Jump. And this is a particular bomb jump that we will get to um, in a certain spot, but if you do that, the routing goes from a huge pain to still pretty complicated, but we can walk you through what's probably your best method of going through it. Yeah. And I've heard people say that thing about, you know, uh, the IPBJ route being superior in every instance, except when you need to do a full clear and you have red cane. And I heard that kind of early on and I really like overthought that. And, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you really just want to do the IPBJ every single time that right like yeah i mean so yeah so that that is one case where it might be faster but it the only reason it might be faster is it assumes that items are in certain locations and if that doesn't actually happen it's not going to be any faster okay so you know basically that that has to do with 
how the items get distributed and basically if there's an item if there's a required progression item in it's either iced tea or big big chest i forget which then essentially, it becomes faster essentially the stars have to align to make that route faster than the ice palace bomb jump route i would say that's what i wanted to hear yeah, Just, I don't. I, I don't want to have to think about it anymore. Yeah, you know? I, basically, to to our folks listening, do not consider that. Do not think about it. It is such a low percent situation, and you don't know if it it's true or not before you're actually done. That you should never be making the play based on that. Now, if you can't do the ice palace bomb jump, or you run out of bombs, or you go on learn tilt it. or whatever, then Just that can kind of be your hope. But yeah, don't. Don't intentionally do the vanilla route. My advice is to learn the Ice Palace Bomb Jump. And, and I say that from a, a place of love and respect. You just have to learn the Ice Palace Bomb Jump. We'll get it more into it. But like, if there's one trick, if you're going to start playing randomizer and there's like one trick to learn to like actually practice, have it be this one. It's just too damn important to not know. And I, yeah. I tried to I tried to fake my way through it for a long time. And it was just... I cannot tell you how many races I lost and runs died because I got tilted trying to do this and I didn't know how. Just learn it. Please, please just learn it. Yeah. So one other thing I want to point out before we get into actually the dungeon walkthrough is sometimes you go in a dungeon and you're like, all right, I'm going to skip, you know, the south chest and swamp or or I'm going to do some other kind of like really, you know, ballsy chest skipping play. Ice Palace is not the time to do that. Do not bring your galaxy brain strategies here. Because (laughs) if you skip a chest, there are certain points in this dungeon where it is effectively impossible to get back to that chest. Um, So don't do that. You could be skipping your go mode item. Yeah, and you'll be wasting a lot of time trying to get back to it. Yeah, the amount of time that it takes to go open one of these chests is way offset by the amount of time you lose in the cases where there's something there you need. All right. Are we ready to do this? I'm ready. Okay. As ready as I'm going to be. All right. Well, uh, allow me to take us up until the time when it gets difficult and you have to actually think about it because I think I can, (laughs) I can actually do that. So, um, so as you first walk in, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty unassuming. Um, one of these freeze wars is going to come to life and this is the point where you are immediately going to get locked out if you don't have either the Fire Rod or Bombos. Um, so at this point, you're either going to murder that thing with the Fire Rod or bust out your Bombos and kill Freezor, and then the door will open. But before you go in the door, remember there is that hint tile up there, uh, courtesy of V30. So go up there and check that, um, get that knowledge. Um Head into the next room, you're going to see three of those blue jellyfish. You want to kill the southernmost one, um, preferably with a hookshot, and then you can just hookshot the key that falls out under it, and then beeline your way to the top of the room. Um, hookshot's also really nice there because, you know, you can't get shocked when you use it. Which, by the way, doesn't that seem wrong? Doesn't it seem like if you hookshot something and it's elect- there's, like, electricity flowing through it, it should shock Link? No, the yeah, handle I- is isolated, obviously, duh. What's isolated? <laughs> the handle of the hookshot. It's uh, made out it's of made, wood. Probably made of rubber. Yeah. Or rubber, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Does they okay, have rubber point. in Link to the Past? I don't um, know. It's probably like <laughs> magic rubber. You know, like some weird... It could be wood. I mean, wood isn't super conductive, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, it's wood. You th- I don't know. Wood, wood? Yeah. 
Shout, shout out in the comments. <laughs> Let us know if uh, wood would be Oh, God, I'm going to get bashed for saying something wrong about like wood being superconductive. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so head down these stairs. Um, you're going to, you know, if you have the boots, just dash down to the bottom of this room. There's a little pressure plate uh, at the bottom left of the room that you're going to want to hit. After you cross through the room, though, there's going to be some blobs that come out. Uh, if you hustle here, I'm pretty sure you can just make make it straight through without hitting these guys. Seems to be the case with most of them. We just kind of completely ignore them, walk right over. Yeah. So yeah. So so you do that, and then uh, if you've still got your hook shut out in the next room, pretty much we're we're going to be back into this room several times. It's just one of the things we have to do to get through the dungeon. So. Uh, if you have your hook shot out this whole time, don't forget to use it where you can to just, you know, do little zips and skips here and there. So you can do that here. Push the block and the southernmost door will open. So you're going to head in there. And this is the vanilla compass chest. And there are, well, you won't see a chest actually at first. You're just going to see six of those pen gators or pentagators, whatever they're called. Um, Very annoying enemies. Yeah, they're mixed between a, a penguin and a gator. And there's quite a few of them here. They basically will just go in one direction, run, and slide until they hit a wall. And then they will go in the direction that is most closely like the direction that Link is, either northeast, south, or west, and do the same thing. And they'll just keep doing that. And it's really annoying when there's a group of them. But if you have the hook shot, fortunately, that takes them out in one hit. Um, sword, obviously, is okay. Hammer, I say, I want to say, is like two or three hits, maybe, something like that. Uh, bombs will work in one explosion if you're enough of a boss to like time that out. Um, there's a room where you can do that later. But at any rate, go ahead and kill all these guys. It's going to make a chest appear. That's the vanilla compass chest. Grab that. Head back up north through the door you came through. This time we're going to push the block to the north and you're going to walk to the east into this room right here. Uh, you shouldn't spend too much time in here. You have one objective. You want to... Go to the middle of the room, uh, t uh, pull off the uh, skull that's on the bottom there. That will uh, expose a button. So you want to hit that and then immediately make your way back to the left. So if you're fast, it'll just be like, come in, pick that up, hit the button, immediately go back. And hopefully you can avoid all of the uh, bogeys in this room. There's pentagators and um, I think there's like an anti-fairy and, and some other stuff. So... Um, so just do your best to avoid those. Come back into that cross room again, and you're going to push the block this time to the west and head up north. And uh, then you get to the portal to the second basement, which is where the real fun happens. But first we have this kind of weird room that we need to contend with. Um, does one of you guys want to talk a little bit more about this weird room? Yeah, sure. So you walk in from the south, and you've got, I believe, two red jellies at the bottom and two red jellies at the top of the room. And the room is pretty much split up by a big wall and two crystal switch blocks on each side. And there's a crystal switch on your side, which you need to lower it so you can walk through, and then you need to hit it again so the crystal switches on the sides go back up when you're in the top part of the room. And the blue crystal switches that block the bombable floor to the bottom where you have to fall down uh, go away. So what you want to do, or what most people usually do, is you try to sneak your way past those bottom two jellies. You hit the switch once so it's down, you place a bomb, you walk past the two crystal switches on the right, wait for the bomb to explode, which will lower the blue crystal switches at the top of the room, and then there's two things you can do. 
the first thing or the thing that most people usually do is you just place a bomb or you throw a bomb on the bomb floor and you fall down. But if you manage to place yourself just at the right pixel on the right big wall and throw your bomb all the way, you can bomb open the floor and hit the crystal switch up there at the same time with the explosion, which will set you up nicely for the Ice Palace bomb jump that we're going to get to in a little bit. But it's by no means, you know, a necessary thing to do at all. Yeah, definitely good to be able to conserve bombs right here. Speaking of which, there is a bomb that's under one of the skulls as you first walk in. So if you have zero bombs right here, you're going to have to use that method. And it's good to know that you can at least continue on through the dungeon. You are mm -hmm. going to be sad when you make it to the IPBJ room. But at least you can make it a little further and, you know, not have to leave the dungeon. Yeah. Um, and also, it's just good to have more bombs. So... Um, but yeah, so uh, you finish that and then you will fall down. That takes you into another kind of weird room that has a pretty cool strategy that you can use to take out these otherwise super annoying jumping Stalfos with just one bomb. So I'm going to do my best to quickly explain how you do this. As you fall down, uh, you want to immediately walk north and the skull on the left hand side, you want to pick that up and throw it uh, and, and hit the uh, skeleton that comes down. Uh, as you're walking back, you want to place a bomb where the skull was. Uh, now, keep walking down to the south. Uh, you want to pick up the skull on the far left side. Walk down to the very bottom wall until another uh, Stalfos falls down. Then turn around and throw the skull that's in your hand at that Stalfos. So it should knock him all the way back to where your initial bomb was. So at this point, both Stalfos should be on the ground and the bomb should explode right next to both of them and it'll kill both of them right away. So that's like the fast strat. It used to be cool because right after you finish that, you'd be right next to the door and you could just walk down south and continue your way on through the dungeon. Now there's a hint tile up there. So even though you did that cool thing, you probably need to go up and check that hint tile and then come back down. But that is the fast strat for that room. Any any other thoughts about that room before we move on? Um yeah, just whenever that Stalfos on the bottom falls, you actually can throw it, the pot, at the Stalfos before it hits the ground if you throw it at the shadow. Mm, so that shadow yeah. counts as a hit um, when you throw a pot at it. And that's good, too, because if you wait until it falls down and you try to turn around and throw the skull, you don't have a lot of room. You might accidentally run into it and take it, take a little bit of damage, which you're going to want to conserve here in Ice Palace. You know, your mm -hmm. health. So. Okay, um, we're... Quickly approaching the Ice Palace bomb jump room, but first we have sort of a long, annoying kind of uh, treadmill spike room coming up here. So, uh, bullet points. The second uh, jellyfish that you come across here has a key, so you're going to need to kill that one and grab that key. Um, you can ignore all the other ones if you want to. Uh, if you line up a dash just right, you can dash all the way through this room, but it's sort of a god pixel situation. It's pretty rare to see somebody do that. Um, I would really recommend just kind of patiently making your way through here, just being very cognizant of the treadmill and not letting it, you know, lunge you into one of the spikes. Um, hookshot is really nice to have here as well because it can, you know, grab the, uh, the key from, from afar, help you avoid the spikes a bit more. Um, I saw someone recently use a air, you know, use the bow here, which I thought was pretty cool. A good way because it, it will go over the spike, so you can kind of snipe it from the front of the room, which is sort of cool. Any other uh, thoughts about how to make your way through this room? 
No, I think you really covered it all. I think um, people need to be very mindful of the spikes and the conveyor belts together because the hitboxes are kind of, um, I don't know, kind of confusing or a little bit misleading at the very least. It can very easily happen that you're walking upwards while the conveyor belt is going left and you think you're going to make it past that wall of spikes. But the conveyor belt actually carries you into it and then you walk down and it suddenly switches the way it moves and it moves you into it again. So, you know, rather exaggerate your movements around the spikes a little bit uh, as opposed to trying to cut the corners too close and losing like four hearts in the process. That's, that's good advice. Yeah, swing wide around these spikes because you never know when they're going to juke you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially because we're going to need those hearts in a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, um... Okay, let's talk about Ice Palace Bomb Jump. How do you guys want to do this? Um, so, I, you know, uh, for our reference that we have, you know, an outline here, I put a nice yeah. image in that I think a lot of people in the rando community have seen that explains how to set it up. Um, of course, it has you using the sword setup, and I'm going to right here tell you that you don't probably, if you don't know Ice Palace Bomb Jump already, don't learn with the sword because you could come in here with the fighter sword or no sword and uh, you don't want that to be sort of your frame of reference. Now, I want to really quickly... (laughs) Okay, well, let's come back Uh, to that because apparently there's... Just uh, just my personal opinion, I learned it with the sword setup and while, yes, there are those pitfalls that you just mentioned, the fighter sword needs you to be a pixel further down and no sword means you're kind of screwed in a way. But uh, it's the, the, the method that you want to mention, which I don't, you know, I don't want to take anything away from what you were going to talk about, but uh, it's very sprite dependent sometimes. Not all of them, but some of them. Well, the shadow so, is yeah. actually pretty consistent, isn't it? Yeah, usually, but there's a few of them where the sprite is too big and you barely see the shadow, or it's like a weird sprite where it looks kind of funky, stuff like that, you know? Yeah, so that's, that's what I was going to get to, is the shot. Basically, there's sort of three philosophies on how to line this up. There is the sword philosophy, which is, as long as you have at least the master sword, will be consistent sprite to sprite. Then there is the shadow strategy, which as long as you don't pick a sprite that has a weird shadow, you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. And then there is the worst method, which um, I don't recommend using, but I know... Back before Randomizer, whenever people were just running NMG, some people did this. But you can also use Link Sprite to line it up. But don't do that unless you only ever use Link, because you'll be in deep trouble as soon as you use anything else. Yeah. Yeah, doing it sprite-dependent is maybe not the best method. But on the other hand, if you find something that works for you, then like you do you, you know? Yeah. Like, no one's so. going to critique you and be like, well... As a, you know, you're a sprite <laughs> user? Oh, man. Yeah, you either get it or you don't, you know? To be fair, yeah, yeah nobody's going to know which method you chose anyways. As long as you, you know, people are going to say, oh, you made the bomb jump, great for you. Or people are going to say, ha ha, you didn't make the bomb jump. So, yeah. you know. You're, they're going to laugh at you. I mean, it's it's a time-honored <laughs> tradition and the randomizing. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. No one's going to laugh at you. But no, yeah, they will feel for you. They'll go, oh, man, because we've all been there before, but... Let's just avoid that whole situation. Like I said before, just practice it. It's 
So I, I wanted to just quickly explain, you know, the a little bit of history behind the IPPJ. So the reason it has that name, we're, we didn't just like make that up or whatever. That has had a name for a long time because it's a critical, crucial part of the No Major Glitches speed run of regular vanilla A Link to the Past. So it's extremely useful to skip like half the dungeon, you know, for the same reason in No Major Glitches as it is in Randomizer. So that's why we use it. It's the exact same you know, method and technique, so it carries over, and, and we, you know, I, we abbreviate it to IPPJ, and it basically makes it so that you can avoid, a, a, you know, having to hit the switch later on in the dungeon, and it involves a Link placing a bomb that knocks him back over a, uh, over a pit that otherwise you would obviously just completely fall over, but by being able to circumvent this, uh, you know, post that's come up because of the crystal switch that you hit, you save yourself a lot of time later on in the dungeon. So anyways, all right. So we've talked a little bit about some of the methods we can use to line it up. Let's just kind of briefly, since it's it's so quick, let's just briefly kind of talk through what happens when you do it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you can basically, in terms of how to execute this, <clears throat> the way I do this is I kind of will hold out a charge before I walk in the door um, and I'll be, fa I'll, I'll kind of walk down so that my sprite is facing right. And I'll have that chart, you know, sword charge held down as I walk down. I will then immediately, when I'm in the doorway, start hitting left because Link will actually walk out and go left. And this makes it a consistent vertical setup. Uh, I then want to walk kind of all the way over to the left so that I'm almost uh, falling in. And then I will place a bomb. Then I move down about a pixel or two pixels um, so that my shadow is really over one of the kind of the, the negative space in between the teeth on the edge. Uh, wait for the bomb to blow up, and if I did it correctly, it will knock me all the way across into the pot. Um, GamerCow has put together, if, for folks who want to learn the, uh, the shadow method, a really, really good tutorial on how to do the Ice Palace bomb jump in addition to a whole bunch of other bomb jumps. All the other we'll, bomb jumps, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll put a, we'll put in a link to it because um, that's how I learned. I basically pulled up the practice ROM and followed along with, uh, with his instructions. Yeah, and the other thing I want to specify, you know, we've been talking about how it's so crucial and critical and you have to learn it. It's not that hard. Like, it's, it's really not too bad, especially after you have practiced it. It just takes doing. Like, for instance, for me, uh, I have to practice this every couple months or so, uh, you know, on average. If I've gone a long time without having to do it or without practicing it, I start to get worse at it. And then when I take it into the practice ROM and then do it a few times, I'm, like, good again. And, and you know, you usually can get it first, you know, second try at the most. So... It just takes a little bit of doing it ahead of time, you know, or kind of shedding that out on your own time in order to feel really comfortable about it. But once you get it, it's it's not that bad. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, as we've been alluding to, it's probably the most or one of the most important, if not the most important trick to kind of learn. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So... I feel like that's enough. We'll we'll post some you know things that will help in the description of this episode. So definitely check those out and you know commit to taking a little bit of time if that's something you haven't done yet. Mm -hmm. uh, if you plan to, if you're somebody that wants to lower your time, because this is one of the best ways to lower your time easily. So let's you'll let's, probably cut like ten minutes off your time if you learn this. 
Yeah. If you if you've been playing rando doing a vanilla, and you do the exact same seed with the everything else, and you do the bomb jump, ice palace bomb jump instead of not doing it, you will probably save like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's assume that you just nailed it. All right. Good job. Great IPVJ. You did it. Uh, so we uh, have got across that gap. Um, Typically, people will get the hookshot out at this point if they have it. What you need to do is go to the bottom of this room, pick up that skull. You'll hit a button, and that will open up uh, the door to get out of here. By the way, we didn't even mention the giant fire bar that's in the middle of the room, but that <laughs> is part of it. <laughs> so you're gonna—it's not a huge deal, but you just kind of have to time your palm jump. You know, and if, if you come in and do it fast, you can probably miss it the first time. If not, you might have to wait like two or three seconds for it to pass and then you're good. But um, one nice thing about having the hook shot out down here is after you hit that button, um, if the fire bar is kind of, you know, in Link's way, you can hook shot to a skull across the room and you actually go straight through the fire bar. And, you know, Link is invulnerable when he's using the hook shot, so um, you don't take any damage there. It's a quick way to kind of get to the end of this room quickly. If you don't have the hook shot, you know, you got to do what you got to do. and You'll just make your way around, try to avoid the fire bar, but... That is officially the IPPJ room. So, Yep. And one other quick thing. If you can hover, uh, you can try to hover across this. You jerk. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you can hover, work. you're a jerk. And you can use it right here. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, potentially, it's an if, if you're playing some kind of crazy... Like, I know at GDQ, they did an, an MG run that was, you know, one hit only. Uh, and you were dead. So they couldn't do the Ice Palace bomb jump. But if you can hover... You can still get across here. That's so cool. That's, I love that. Kind of like on, on the fly thinking about things. Um, cool. Okay. So we got through this room. The next room is very bland. It's just a hallway. Um, just, you know, head down there, hit the switch, and go through that door. And the next place it's going to take you is uh, one of those Pengator uh, murder rooms. So there's a few ways that people use to take out all these guys. It kind of depends on what items you have with you, you know, how strong your sword is. Um, I would say the fastest and easiest is probably going to be the hookshot, especially if you already had it out from it, you know, having it in the IPBJ room. Um, these guys die with one hookshot hit. You can kill the first two as they're coming at you, wait for the other ones to get south of you, and then just boom, 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 just hit all four of them. Um, there's another way you can do this with two bombs. You can move down south, play one bomb uh, kind of where the second one is, and another bomb sort of where the fifth one is. And then if you have the boots, you can dash out of the way and over them as they dive towards you, and then both the bombs will explode and you'll kill all six of them and it looks super cool. Um, you know, if you maybe are doing a swordless or, you know, something like that, that could be, you don't have hookshot for whatever reason, that could be something to do. Uh, you guys have any other ideas of ways to dispatch these uh, pen, pen gators? I mean, you could go really crazy and use bombos. Yeah, yeah see people do that, that works too. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a couple slow, of... But, yeah. There's a couple of ways to do it. I think they're all viable depending on what you have. What I would not recommend is just trying to chase them all down with your sword. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, like if you have nothing else, then you don't really have much of a choice, I guess. But uh, 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 optimally, you don't want to start chasing them around with your sword. That's probably the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. All right, so I've done a lot of talking so that I can not talk very much for this next part. Because this is where it gets confusing, <laughs> folks. And I'm going to put on my uh, student cap and, and yeah. take a back seat for a little while. So... 
All right, so yeah, that's kind of we're kind of through the first part of this dungeon, which is kind of everything up leading up to the ice palace bomb jump and the bomb jump itself. The second part is the really confusing part from a routing perspective. The third part is just go beat Cold Stare. It's pretty easy. Um, but this is where things are confusing. So you're going to walk into this plus-shaped room, and you have three choices uh, in front of you. You have a door to the north, a door to the west, and a locked door to the east. So what do you do? So I'm going to talk about something that I call the Freezor Gamble. This is not like a thing that has a typical name, but if you guys want to start Freeze or Gamble as a thing, I highly encourage it. But let me <laughs> let me explain Hashtag what this Freeze is. Freeze or Gamble. Um, if you already have, if again we're assuming this whole time you're doing a full clear. If you already have a small key, <clears throat> it's faster to go east. You just always want to do that, um, and we will come back to what all is involved there. Uh, in a bit so you know if you walked east just and you're playing along with us for some reason just you know pause and wait for us to catch up to you basically where you're trying to do what you're trying to figure out is if i go north i'm going to take a very long circuitous path to get to that eastern room if i go west i'm basically gambling on there being a key there and I am going to advise that you always do this freeze or gamble. That makes uh, sense to me. I'm with you so far. And here, here is why. So if there is a key there, it's going to click it. You know, it'll make it so that you are able to go back and then go into that Eastern room. Um, it will always also open the chest in this room. And if you don't, do this right up front here it's kind of hard to route it in because it's in an awkward location um if you go in here and check it and there is no key it is pretty easy to recover into where you would have been if you'd gone north with a bomb jump uh it's potentially very fast if you are one item from go mode go in there and it's in there it just feels like it's a safer play and even when it doesn't work out, you're sort of set up well to move forward. Um, but I will talk about why it might suck. Um, so, if you go and do this and there is no small key, um, you are going to need to do a bomb jump to get back to where you need to be. If you mess up that bomb jump, you're in deep doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> Because there is, you're going to be very far away from where you want to be. You'll need to do a very, very long walk to get back. And it'll basically just put you on tilt and make you very upset. Um, it also is going to require some magic to kill the Freezors. So if, if you're running out of magic, that might not be a good idea. And if the chest has trash in it, like the map or the compass, it's uh, not very efficient route and you've lost some time but again you don't know what's in those chests beforehand so you gotta assume that it's not trash mm -hmm. okay so now that i kind of described the like advantages and disadvantages let's walk through what you actually need to accomplish so you'll go west and uh, you're in an icy room with a fire bar you just need to kind of dodge that fire bar um Hookshot is a very nice thing here because it'll move you around and you'll be immune to the fire bar. Boots are good too. Um, and you'll walk down some stairs. 
You can mm-hmm. also influence your movement with uh, hammer, hammer thwacks and sword swings. I see people do that. You like They'll walk in and do two sword slashes to the south and then two to the north to kind of align them to you know where they need to be with the staircase here. Yes, that is actually a good thought because I sometimes forget that I can use sword slashes to move me around and then I get knocked back and it's just not fun. Now the real challenge in this room is getting down this damn staircase. <laughs> oh, yes. It sucks, man. It's so hard. So I like to use the boots uh, if I'm anywhere near or I have them because that, that will sort of nudge you and correct you down so that you can walk straight down. But if you don't have the boots, being on the ice and trying to get down these stairs is uh, deceptively very difficult. And you've got this fire bar that's going to be coming at you. So um, it can be really hard to line up, you know, getting down these stairs. I definitely recommend the boots. I haven't really figured out a great way to do it. Sans boots. Do you guys have any like tips or anything for this? I would love to hear some advice. Well, I know of two other ways. The first one is you can manage to hookshot yourself if you're like at the top of the stairs and to the north of them and you hookshot downwards. You sometimes manage to hookshot onto those two white blocks that are below the stairs and it'll hookshot you like into the stairs. It'll pull you like halfway down the stairs. Oh, wow. uh, I'm, I haven't quite figured out the right pixel yet, but I'm sure there's plenty of pictures and explanations out there. Cool. And... Uh, I know the most recent thing that's been found, I think in Rando in general, is a way to clip through the side of the stairs from basically the right side. So you move into the room and then walk about to where the block with the fire bar is, and then you, I think, hook shot over to the left, and it just kind of pulls you through. Wow. Huh. I hadn't seen that. I, gotta, I, go I have not that seen that either. That's, wow, that's Yeah, the, I'm not 100% sure about the setup. I've, like kind of you know heard of it in a way but never actually followed up on it but there it's it's pretty recent that's cool all right so let's so let's say we were we got down these stairs so, uh, so now we're in the freezer room right yes mm-hmm. so now we're down here and there's going to be two 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 freezers that spawn i say that because i have come down here a couple times and gotten excited and bombosed the first one <laughs> and then gone uh dang yeah. it um, so make sure you kill both of them. A chest pops up, and this is where the gamble comes in play. You you really, really want this to be a small key. Um, even though, and I say that because then you will just backtrack, and you will go to that room that we were previously talking about that was locked. Um, you also want it to, if you're one item from go mode, to be your go mode item, because then you can fall down this pit and you will be in the big chest room and you can go on to cold stair and we will catch up with you uh in a bit whenever we get to the big chest room which will be later um let's say you open it though and it's like 20 rupees or dungeon trash or a big key or, or something that is not what you're you're looking for what do you do now well as you can see there is a door out of here to the right but there's a pit in the way well if you Stand on the very, very top left edge of the pit so that your shadow is pretty much covering all of the kind of teeth. And you lay a bomb. You will be able to bomb jump across safely. And uh, that will put you in the room you would have ended up in if you had gone north. So you're kind of back on the the right track at this point. Huh. (laughs) Okay. 
Okay. Um, and the room that we are in now is what we call the Tall Icy Room. So this is where you end up if you have gone north and just... I know we didn't cover it, but if you had gone north, the floor tiles fall in the room to the north. So you can just kind of chill out there and wait to fall. And you'll fall here into the Tall Icy Room. Um, or you'll be coming in from that door to the left. Now, there is another decision to make here, as if we didn't have enough fun. Um, so if you have a spare key, you can go south and do the iced tea room, as we call it. Although, again, I will say if you have a spare key at this point, why are you here? Because you should not be here. You should have gone to the yeah. east. You should have done um, the But, you know... If for whatever reason you do, you can go do that. Um, I don't recommend it. And uh, what you'll be doing instead is going out the upper right exit. Uh, you know, watch out for the ice and all of the uh, pen gators in here. And don't forget to get the telepathy tile all the way at the north. But uh, so you go out, you go to the right, and now you're in the Ice Palace hookshot room, as it's called. Um, it's another and, popular one for bomb jumping as well. Yeah, so this room can either be very easy or very hard. If you have a hookshot, this room is trivial. You just hookshot across and then walk down. If you do not have the hookshot, uh, <laughs> have fun. Because <laughs> One time I was, I was in the middle of a race and I realized that I needed to do this. I got into a, a bit of a pickle. And I, the door closed behind me, and it was like, well, I literally am just going to either die or get this bomb jump. And I went to YouTube, and I watched a video on how to do it, and then I did it. And I was pretty proud of myself, because that's allowed, by the way. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely, there are some times where you're going to really wish you knew this. It's not as, uh, you know, often as IPPJ, which, again, is pretty much every time. But there, there are some situations where you're going to be glad that you know how to do this bomb jump. It's not, it's not too hard. No, I mean, it, it is, I will say, it is pixel perfect. The Ice Palace bomb jump, I think, has a three pixel window that you can pull it off in. Um, really? I think it's either two or three. I thought um, this, the, you know, one thing that's uh, I think makes this one a little easier is that you, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have to move after you lay the bomb. So You do there's, not. There's not, like, two steps to it like there is with the IPBJ. Yeah, so basically here, if you you see the lower right corner, you kind of want to stand there and put a bomb down, and uh, it'll push you down into the right. And again, the GamerCal video that we'll be linking will have a, a nice yeah. tutorial on how to do this. Mm -hmm. One thing to watch out for are the red jellies, because they will mess your day up with this bomb jump if they, you know, get it, you know, knock into you either on the front end or the back end. In situations where I've had to do it, I will more or less kind of just clear the room of jellies first. Um, you know, I'm not going to go too far out of my way if they're not in my way, but I definitely don't want to have them running into me while I'm trying to line up this very precise trick, you know? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, well, this is great. I'm learning so much. Yeah. So now you are, you're through the worst of it. You walk south and there's some spikes in this room. Um, a real clever thing, you actually don't want to dash here. If you kind of make a U-shape with Link, you will, and you move very, very efficiently, you will avoid the spikes that uh, try to hit you. These are the big kind of yellow spikes. 
Yep. What you can do here, though, is it's a little bit slower, but a little bit safer, just if you're not comfortable with the movement. If you just dash straight down and bonk into the wall in the south, all the spikes will miss you, and then you can just casually walk up to the door while they're resetting themselves. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, like so two ways to get through there, but then you'll go up the stairs, and now we finally get back to all the people who went east to start out in the... Uh, kind of cross room and have been very patiently waiting to hear what they're <laughs> supposed to do next. Um, so does someone else want to walk through what to do now that we're here in this, uh, this spike room? Yeah, sure. I, I can take that, I think. So once you're here, you're, you're walking upstairs and you'll be seeing a room that's kind of split into halves uh, with half of the middle wall being an actual wall and the other half being a spike. Um pit i guess spike floor uh, spike floor yeah that works uh, a spike floor and uh, on the other side of that spike floor you'll see another set of stairs and a skull that you can hook shot to that is the way that you usually want to get over there assuming you have the hook shot uh, if you don't have the hook shot you're free to either just walk over the spikes they'll do a little bit of damage and you'll be fine or you can of course pull out your cape or your cane um, and then you want to go up those stairs. What you don't want to do is what I always do. You lift up that pot, you step on the button, make that chest appear, and then you leave without any intention of picking up that chest right away. That, uh, I mean, I've it's just, too. yeah, it's just a force of habit kind of thing. And it's really not that huge of a time loss. It's just unnecessary, but, uh, that's what happens in here. And then, um, after you make your way up the right staircase, You'll end up in uh, a room where the vanilla map chest is. So it's uh, another room split in two halves. And this is, I believe, the first instance of uh, an ice palace where we actually do need the hammer <clears throat> yep. to proceed any further. So yep. you'll have uh, one chest on the side where you can enter from and you can open that easily. And nothing required to get that. You just flip it open. And then uh, on the... On the, on the middle, you hammer down two pegs, you pick up a big block, and there's there's going to be a bunny beam and a small key under this big block. The bunny beam, usually, if you pick it up from the top hammer pack, the bunny beam usually just kind of gets stuck on the bottom hammer pack that you didn't hammer down and will never really pose a threat. But uh, sometimes they can be a little bit annoying. When you walk left, uh, a Stalfos Knight, a big one, will fall down from the from the... Uh, ceiling and what you want to do then is go downwards and pick up the bottom skull on the left side which will have a button under it and that's actually the button that makes that vanilla map chest appear on the right side that I was talking about earlier so you want to do that and then you want to toss that skull that you just picked up up at the stealthos that fell down to you know make it kind of shatter and sink into a pile of bones and while he's stunned like that, you can go up there and pull on that tongue, which will open up the door on the right side. So yep. you can basically just ignore that guy. Um, yeah, and then you make it to through the door on the right side. There's uh, another set of automatic stairs in there that you take up, which will basically just lead you to a little alcove, I will call it, that's blocked off by uh, a couple of skulls. And there's a chest that is generally or usually the vanilla big key chest might have the item you're looking for you never know uh once you grab that i think the pots also have magic and bombs or an arrows or something under them i'm not 100 percent sure yeah um, i think it's magic and arrows 
Yeah, I think it's magic and arrows. After you get that big key, then you, you really just want to trace your steps um, back sort of to the beginning of this this area where, where Herf has been talking about. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anything to consider on the way back? Just watch um, out for those Staphos Knights, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, really, the only thing is that you might run into the second Staphos Knight that you might have already seen in the room before that falls from the ceiling. They usually don't pose a threat. As long as you don't stop, you generally manage to run past them before they complete falling down and, you know, doing anything to you. Cool. Okay. All right, so let's get back into our routing here. So yeah. all of that's kind of like a wing, you know, like those three chests that you get basically to do to, to mm -hmm. get all of that and sort of sort of all grouped together. So so we've got all three of those. We backtracked back to that um, eastern room from the cross. Uh, tell me mm -hmm. where to go next, Dax. So, yeah, so make sure before you keep on going that you do lift up that pot in the spike room and get the chest. Um, you don't want to forget that one, unless at this point you have gotten all your items, in which case you can skip it. You ignore it, yeah. Uh, yep. The way we're going to route this, you hopefully don't need anything else. Um, so now you are back in the plus-shaped room, or the cross room, or whatever you want to call it. Um, if you didn't do the Freezor gamble, now is the time to go check the Freezor room, um, because we're going to be moving on and you don't want to strand that chest. Um, and it might, it's going to save a bit of time. There is, now we're kind of moving into the third part of this, which is kind of the lead up to Cold Stare. Uh, and there is another decision that you will have to make. And, uh, I know we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but there is a room in here where the last chest, other than the big chest, lives called the Iced Tea Room. Um, because it is icy and is shaped like a tea. I, I don't know why they yeah. called it that. I think it's just but, iced tea, though. It might be iced tea. I believe it is just iced tea room. Yeah, I'm not 100% oh, sure. Not, not like the the drink. <laughs> no, no, more like the wrapper. That iced tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, at this point, you have kind of two... Let, oh no! It is say, iced tea. Oh man! I just checked the uh, the ALTTPR customizer. It, it is iced tea. You're right. I apologize. No. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Um, so now you, you you have a decision to make because there are two ways to move on forward from here. The first is you can go into the freezer room, and remember how I told you to fall down that pit if you were in go mode. Well, we're going to finally catch up to all those people that fell in the pit to the big key room. Um, and you can fall down there. Or you can go in the tall icy room and head south to ice tea and get in that way. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about why you probably don't want to do that. So, and basically what I'm advocating for here is sort of skipping ice tea. And here is why. So the big one, and this is enormous, is by skipping Ice T, you are set up correctly for doing the push block room, which we haven't gotten to yet, but that is the room that sort of leads into uh, Cold Stair. And if you come in from the big key or the big chest direction, you will be set up correctly to do it. If you come in from the other direction, you will not, unless you have the red cane. Um, if you are at this point, it is. I think fairly likely that you have all of the items because there are 
So eight chests. Um, you have already opened five of them at this point. Uh, the only three remaining are the big chest, the ice tea room, and cold stair. So it's somewhat likely that you've already gotten all three of your items. Um, if you do need to go into the iced tea room, uh, if you go in backwards, and backwards is kind of in quotes, uh, you get to save on a small key, which might help you. And uh, you can also get to the big chest a lot faster this way. So even though it could be like, oh man, I've got one item left, it, it's either the big chest, cold stair, or iced tea, you can access the big chest like that um, by skipping the iced tea room. Mm -hmm. If you... Now, why could this gamble not work out? Um, if you don't have access to the big chest and you have the red cane, then this is actually going to be faster to go the other way. Because let's say you still have one item left. You don't have the big key. So the big key could be locked in itself... It could be in the ice tea room, or it could be on cold stair. Well, it's not going to really help you to go into the big key room, because you can't open it. Uh -huh. And if it's on cold stair, not much you can do there. Um, but it could be in the ice tea room, so that will help you out. Also, the item could be in the ice tea room. And if you have the red cane, you can use that to get around all the stuff we set up on the ice palace bomb jump to get in and... Uh, and do that quickly. I mean, I, I do really want to point out that I would recommend always skipping the ice tea room if you don't have the red cane, because you will be in a very bad position to actually get to the boss. Yeah, but think about if you finish Cold Stair and you get a compass, and it's like, okay, so there definitely is one more item, and it's in the ice tea room, and now I'm at the beginning of Ice Palace again. Yeah, now, now what I'm saying skipping, I'm just saying skipping from the front here. You can oh, okay. still go, okay. and I'll talk a little bit about going, and that's me, that's what I was saying, going in, quote, backwards. I'm just saying you shouldn't be, you shouldn't go to it from the tall icy room. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, and so let's actually talk a little bit now about what we're trying to set up here. So you've, you've listen to to the us and you've fallen down into the big chest room um if you have the hook shot you can hook shot through the push blocks as you push them and then go open up the big chest or if you're in go mode you can skip it or if you don't have the hook shot you can place a bomb in the freezer room on some of the cracked uh, tiles it's actually kind of if you think of the, the cracks being in like a four by four grid it's the second grid that is right above the stairs and then that will let you fall down and you can access the big chest in kind of the vanilla way. Um, now once you do that, you'll walk out to the right and be in uh, what we call the push block room. And that's because there's blocks here you can push. And hey, look, you can finally see some orange and blue crystal switch blocks again. Remember when we <laughs> did the Ice Palace bomb jump? Yeah, the entire reason we did it was to set this up. So the way you've walked in, you've, it looks like you're kind of locked in because the, the red blocks are up and the blue blocks are down and there's just push blocks there. But if you push the upper block, it will fall down into the next room and it will actually be in the position you need to, to open up the final room to go into Cold Stair. Um, and that is why we have done the Ice Palace Bomb Jump because by the vanilla way to do this, you have to go all, you have to do all this 
routing and, and going around and it's a real real pain um so doing it this way lets you avoid all that yep that's mm-hmm. that's the ippj that's why we do it that's pretty much the reason yep so at this point you are in the uh no so you've, you've fallen down the push block room um and now you are in the uh, like the boss button. antechamber yeah, sort like, of anti antechamber. Yeah, like the the button switch room, I guess is sure. technically what it's called. Um, so if you fell down from the correct side, you'll see that there is a block right on top of a pot. If you lift up the pot and push it down, that will hit the button, and it's a, one of those buttons that has to be constantly pressed down to stay open, and that will open the way up to Cold Stair. Yay! If you're in go mode, you just go through here. Um, you still have one item left, and like Tip is saying, skipping chests in Ice Palace is generally a very bad idea, because you it's really, really hard to get back. So, you're in here, you did the Ice Palace bomb jump, you're, you're feeling good, but you have one chest left. Ugh. Well, guess what? You you can leave that push block there, and it'll stay there un, until you mirror out. So you don't have to worry about that. But you're going to want to walk north, uh, up the stair, uh, through the... Not up the stairs, sorry. Through the door. You'll be in a room that has an anti-fairy, which could be helpful if you're looking low on health. You'll go up the stairs. You will, very funnily, walk through a locked door. Um, go south again, and you will walk through another locked door. And you'll be back in the the push block room but you'll be on the other side of those red blocks um and you can get back down the way you came with the blue blocks down because you can push the block on the other side um what you're going to do now is kind of going quote the backwards way to the ice tea room uh, so you go to your right and you're now in the uh i guess it's called the skull pot fire bar room sure. and this room sucks <laughs> i hate this room because yeah, you've got sure icy does. floor you've got uh, anti fairies flying around. You've well, got just a one, fire but bar. It's, the, the developers of this game knew exactly where to put the anti fairies to just like ruin your day. Like, and have you yeah. noticed that? Like, whenever, like, it's always in the most inconvenient places several times during a room. Like, it'll bounce on this wall and be like, oh, it's in my way. Then it'll bounce on another wall and be like, oh, I gotta be careful right there. You know, it's like, it's just one, but it feels like two because it's just like always in front of you. Yeah, it's not... I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) You can powder it for a fairy, so that is nice. You know, this late into the dungeon, if that's something you need. Yeah. Also, as we discussed in our uh, quiz episode, there are a lot of hearts in the pots here. So, if if your alarm's going off, yeah, you you might want to stock up right here. I think there's five five hearts, and potentially Mm -hmm. a lot of other goodies, too. But the one goodie you will definitely want to make sure that you well you you can get it or you don't you cannot get it you kind of should look at your key situation and know that you're you might not need it but there is a small key under one of the pots on the upper left hand column um i don't think you will actually need it if you followed this route to here because you can fall back down but um if you haven't or you're on the vanilla path or you're in otherwise a bad key situation, there is a key right there for you. Um, You also will need to find the button to get out of this room, and that button is on, I believe, the upper right. Um, 
Yeah, and, and of like the four individual skulls, the one at the upper right has uh, yep. yeah, has the button. Um, so you'll hit, you open up that, you go south, and you're now in this like icy fire bar room. And really, the key here is just to make it through as quick as you can without getting knocked into the pit by the fire bar. Yeah, I find I have a lot of success here when I don't try to use a lot of diagonals when on my you know d-pad i will move to the right and line that up where it needs to be then go down line that up where it needs to be you know use up a little bit to make sure i don't fall off the bottom and then use left to get to get out of there you know like instead of trying to angle my way around use curves just turn this into 90 degree angles and just get through each part of it as fast as you can would you agree yeah, I like that advice. I mean, it's. Uh, I think this room has gotten a lot less scary and annoying the more I've gone through it. Sure. Uh, lately, I've noticed somehow it's like I'm having Alzheimer's or something because <laughs> I keep getting worse at it. But when you uh, you kind of get a feel for it eventually. The problem with this room, or the biggest problems I feel like with this room is if you manage to go in and then quickly make your way through, the fire bar won't be a problem at all. But if you dilly-dally a bit or if you fall off in the beginning because your, you know, unfortunate movement or something stupid happens, the fire bar will be in your way like 100% of the time. Yeah. So, but just, yeah, like any room, you know, don't panic. Take your time, but not too much time and uh, you'll be fine. Yep. So once you're through there, you're in the iced tea room and the iced tea chest is just, there's a single, very suspicious looking pot. If you lift it up, there's a switch under it. It spawns a chest next to you. And with that, we have opened every single chest in Ice Palace, and we can go fight Cold Stare. So if you did this and had to go to um, go up here to get iced tea, you're just going to kind of retrace your steps. And now you're back in the push block room. Again, it's, you'll be on the other side of the gap. But if you push the block on the, I think, bottom right, that falls down and you can follow it down. It sort of is trolly when you get down there because you can see the developers sort of in originally intended when you did this that kids would come up here and go like, oh, I just pushed the block down, I get it. And it's the wrong block. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why doing things the vanilla way is so long because to do this correctly the vanilla way, you have to go all the way back up and then fall down into the big chest room and then go do all this but we're all great speedrunners and randomizer players here so we didn't have to do that so we just push the block down um and go south into this final room and uh what you want to do here is avoid the red jellies uh lift up the two pots to get a little bit of magic refill pull the rightmost statue up and then uh, hammer the block and pick up the, I guess, rock, stone, whatever it is. And now it's time for Cold Stare. All right. Now, one thing I want to mention before we get to Cold Stare is you are going to need uh, to fire either eight uh, fire rod shots or use Bombos one time. If you don't have Bombos and you don't have half magic you're going to need a full magic container so that's why we were talking about that earlier hopefully you have a potion or you already have full magic if not there is one locked door uh in that second to second to last uh third to last room before you go to cold stair 
Um, the room with the push block where you push the block down and it falls into this room. Uh, there is a crystal switch, and if you hit that, it will expose some uh, some of these skulls here, and three of them have magic under them. So if you're, like, almost at full, you might need to go back and, and check out this room. And that's another reason you might have wanted to grab that small key that was back in that fire bar skull pot room um, that we were talking about with all the hearts, because you might need to come in here and get a little bit of magic before you fall down to cold stare. Um, also, you know, there are some enemies you can try to kill and farm for a little bit if necessary, um, you know, but do not fall down there without some plan, uh, you know, to, to melt cold stare out of its first phase. So let's, let's do it. Let's, let's melt it. All right. So you've, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's you've, do it. you've fallen down into cold stare, um, Cold Stare is, I would say, probably the biggest run killer in No Major Glitches, because Cold Stare hits, like, really, really hard. And in Rando, Cold Stare has not gotten any easier, but you might have more hearts than you do in No Major Glitches. Um, the first phase, Cold Stare is just going to sit there in ice, and ice is going to fall down from the ceiling. You can melt the ice with either one cast of Bombos, or, like Tim was saying, eight Fire Rod Shots. If you are down here with no potions and no half magic and you miss a fire rod shot, you have to leave. You have to die or warp <laughs> out because you won't get yep. cold stare out of here. Cold stare is just going to sit there in ice and stare at you and you'll feel very bad. Yep. Now there is that uh, glitch that we talked about from that puzzle that we got from Kern uh, a week or two or an episode or two ago. Um, where there's sort of a glitch where you can use Master Sword beams to double as Fire Rod shots. Um, so if you're interested in hearing more about that, go check out that that episode. I want to say it was episode 10. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, there is that option. It's sort of a, a you know, it's, it's not going to happen very often, but it could be pretty critical to help you out of a jam. So might might be worth learning if you want to go check that out. But... Um, yeah, if you have half magic, you're probably not going to have to worry. If you have bombos, it's probably not going to be a big deal. But I think a lot of us probably have memories of dropping down here and, and having to mirror out because they couldn't melt cold stare. And it's really a bummer after going through a dungeon like Ice Palace and then having that be the end of it. So, all right, so we melt, we melted it. I, I like to start out here with a... Um, if you time it just right, you can start with a, uh, a spin slash and hit all three of these uh, eye things that are about to generate. So after you melt the ice, it sort of you know flashes, and then the idea is after about a second or two, it splits off into three, and they all go you know their own ways. But at the same moment that they split off into three, that's also when their hitboxes activate. So if you time it just right, you can hit all three of them into the corner. If you then chase them down, if you have like tempered or golden and just slash the crap out of them, you could maybe just end the fight right here. So that's awesome when you have the right equipment. Unfortunately, a lot of times you're going to be doing this with master sword or, you know, you know, hammer, uh, you probably never use fighter sword or anything like that, but, um, you know, you're not always so lucky to have sword, you know, a, a really nice sword like that. So that's one way. If, if you can do it, let's talk about some other ways to handle you know, Cold Stare in this stage, which is really the, the run killer you were talking about. What are some, what are some other tips? Well, uh, <laughs> okay, so 
to maybe being the numbers guy, let's talk some numbers on Cold Stare. So each eyeball has 64 hit points. So in terms of how many hits you need to do to each eye, and there's three of them, uh, each eye is going to take four fire rod shots or gold sword strikes, eight tempered sword shots or eight hammer hits, uh, 16 master sword swings or fighter sword spins. Don't come down here and try to do fighter sword spins on Cold Stare, though. You're better off pulling out that hammer. Um, but if you need to, in an emergency, uh, you know, use the fighter sword or you're doing some kind of crazy enemizer thing where Cold Stare shows up somewhere else, uh, you know, fighter sword spins will damage it. Um, and Cold Stare also hits like a truck that is barreling down a hill at you. Uh, oh, yeah. If you... If you are on green mail, cold stare does four hearts of damage. Uh, if you're on red mail, it's three blue mail or blue mail three, red mail two. Typically, you're probably not going to have red mail here, so it's going to be either four or three. And because it does four hearts of damage a touch, you effectively can only get hit two or three times. Three times if you have a lot of hearts. Um, that's the other reason why people recommend you bring a potion down here, because in addition to running out of magic on Cold Stare, Cold Stare can just straight up kill you. Yeah, so this is, it's it's really hard because, like, when it does three or four hearts of damage in one hit, that'll completely bypass your health chime. Like, you know, yeah. I know a lot, of pe- a lot of people play without that or whatever. I use it for sure. I need to know, like, when things are getting, you know, a little dicey. And you can go from having four hearts to just being dead. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know I was in danger, you know? So so knowing that, I think, is really critical because, again, a death here is the last thing you would want in a run. Yeah, you really need to keep an eye out for your health here in that fight. It can be extremely dangerous extremely quickly. It's also yeah. a real shame to see people die with a potion in their inventory. You know, don't be caught in mm-hmm. that situation. If if you're if yeah. you have any doubt whatsoever, it's one hundred percent of the time going to be faster to take that potion and then go buy another one later if you really feel like you need it than it is to die mm-hmm. here. I I have lost some races by trying to get cute with Cold Stare and being like, oh, I've got the potions, but I'm going to save them in case I need them on Ganon or right. or climbing GT. Like, no, don't do that. Don't don't be cute. Flirt with Cold disaster. Stare. Yeah, don't don't try to out outsmart the game basically Uh, one small point i want to make to what axe just said uh that you shouldn't use your master sword spins and rather switch to the hammer i'm i don't agree 100 percent with that personally i just i personally you know i like having the spins because it's also sort of a form of protection for link you know like yeah you've got a little barrier i mean if you've got fire rod shots you should use those first yeah, yeah of, of course. I mean, the fire rod is probably... Uh, personally, I would say the spin strat for the beginning that Tim was talking about is a good idea no matter what sword you have. Yeah. Because just because of your chance of not having them immediately sp- split up in three different directions, but bumping them into a corner or almost into the corner where, where they at least say clumped up for a little bit longer. And then... You have a couple of choices, as you were just mentioning. If you start blasting them with the fire rod, you have a good chance of hitting more than one because the lingering hitbox from the fire rod shot might hit another guy or maybe all three. Then um, the reason why I prefer uh, the uh, master sword spins to the 
hammer is, well, A, they do the same damage, which is kind of irrelevant here, but you have a chance of either double hitting in a way where you get two of the puffs at the same time with your sure. spin because another one is starting to run in. Uh, one of them could bounce off the wall, which generally also gets you a double hit if you're close enough to it and the wall. And if they're all locked up in the corner like that, you're going to double hit all three of them. So I think, you know, the hammer with its weirdo hitbox and having to hammer upwards sometimes, I, I, I personally say, at least for me, the hammer is the worst weapon to use on Cold Stare. It, yeah, it's just really tough. When it's moving around as fast as it does, mm -hmm. especially when it does that charge, hammer hitbox is tricky and slow and, and yeah. it really only makes sense from the side too which you're not always going to have the luxury of being able to attack from the side when it's moving around and there's three of them like this oh hey by the way the whole time during this fight there's a bunch of ice dropping from the ceiling <laughs> on his head like yeah. what why good for mentioning that because i have gotten comboed where i got hit by cold stare and got knocked you know, four hearts off, and I was down to one or two hearts, and then ice fell on me, and I died instantly. Yeah, it's it's a it's yeah. the silent killer. It, actually, it's not silent because every time it goes, there's a little whistle noise, but it's pretty obnoxious. <laughs> but yeah, that is uh, not fun to deal with either. And when it hits the ground, it breaks off into four pieces, and it either goes like north, south, east, west, or it goes into the four diagonals, and you don't know what it's going to be until it falls down. So you can avoid the ice and then get hit by that. You know the the chunks that fall off so mm -hmm. you pretty much what that equates to is you just pretty much can never stop moving you have to stay moving pretty much this entire battle yeah and if you have the choice between moving out of the way of potential damage or getting a hit in move out of the way of get the out. damage because yeah, get out of there. You, you just don't know if you know you could get very unlucky and be in a situation where you almost have to take damage because the eyeballs are arranged in a certain way and there's ice falling um, I will say, though, the ice does less damage than cold stare, so if your choice is hit the ice or hit cold stare, get hit by the ice. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. What do you guys think about, do you ever try to target one of them and kill it and not take swings at the other ones? Or yes. do you just hit whoever you can? I well, tried it. Go ahead, Axe. No, no, go ahead. Um, you go I, I find the fight is a lot less dangerous once one of them is dead. Like, having practiced this a ton like i the reason i'm a big hammer user on this fight is because i've practiced hammer only cold stare which is a nightmare yeah but i practiced mm -hmm. it for like four or five hours um just making sure i was comfortable with it and i found that with that pretty much i'd say about 60 or 70 percent of my deaths came when there were three on the field and all, and all the other ones came on when there were two on the field. When there's only one, I don't think I ever died. Mm -hmm. There's definitely, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. In the past, I've sort of just been like an opportunist. And it's like anytime one comes even close to me or I'm near it, that's the one I'm going to hit. And not like doing it pretty indiscriminately. But um, the more I've played, I think that it makes a lot more sense to do what you're saying. And, and you know, when you get one of them out there, it really opens up the room and gives you a lot more options to avoid getting hit, which is the most important mm -hmm. thing, really, you know? Yeah, for me, it's kind of the same. I try to target one of them, but I find with, especially when there's still three of them in the room, I find it kind of hard to really stick to one of them. And I generally don't like passing up the opportunity to do damage because in the end it's really just damage that you're leaving on the table, not doing it to anyone. So 
you know, I try to focus on one, but if the other happen to fly into my way or block me from the other one, I'll slash at them a couple times. Maybe even switch to target if it turns mm -hmm. out to be easier to hit that one guy. That's fair. Yeah, like, if you get one in the corner, then it might be sensible to stop chasing the one you were chasing. Yeah, that's fair. It's kind of dependent on the situation, I guess. But generally, as I said, targeting one of them is a is a good like outline for how you want to approach the fight, and then you'll have to see how well it goes with that and go from there. It, it's kind of you know improv in a way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I think that was a pretty thorough breakdown of cold stare. Is there anything else we can think of that people might want to keep in mind during this fight? I think we got pretty much everything. Be sure to not accidentally get your last two hearts taken away by that last random ice block that falls after you've defeated Cold Stare. <laughs> yeah. oh. That sucks. Uh, cool. Okay, so even though Go Mode is very different for Ice Palace than it is for the other dungeons, this shouldn't actually take long because we've already talked about how to you know get there. Really, the, the parts that we described up until IPPJ, really until that cross room, are all identical with the one difference that you don't need that initial chest in that Pengator room. You can just walk mm -hmm. into that room and walk straight back out of it. Um, but basically, after you go to that cross room, um, you, you want to just kind of guide us to the uh, Cold Stairs layer from there? Essentially, I think you have two choices here where you can go. You can either make your way to the left... And go through that fire bar and stair room again, which I think is a little bit of a longer way. Or you just go north into the falling tile room. Uh, both of them will eventually end with you in the same room, which should be the one before you fall down to the big chest. So, and there, one of them's yes. got to be faster, right? I do believe that the one where you go north to the falling tile room is faster okay. just because it doesn't have any stair transitions, which usually take the longest. I'm not 100% yeah. sure, though. Yeah, I would recommend doing that, too, especially because getting on those stairs, as we talked about earlier, is a huge pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that comes into play as well. So just ignore the stairs to the left. Go north, wait for the t uh, tiles to fall if you want to. You can walk in, uh, walk to the right, pick up that pot. It has an extra heart if you need it. And then if you wait in there, none of the fire spitters in there can uh, hit you. And you just fall down into the tall icy room that uh, Axe was talking about earlier. Um, once you do that, you lift up the left block of the two uh, skulls on the right side. So you lift up the left skull, push that little button, which opens the door on the left side. And once you're in there, we're in familiar territory. You just fall down the hole. You end up in the big chest room. You walk to the right. Uh, if you, uh, oh yeah, one thing we didn't mention yet, I believe, is if you wanna do the go mode as fast and as efficient as possible, you must do the ice palace bomb jump. Yep. Without the ice palace bomb jump, it's just really not worth it. There's too many keys and small keys and other junk you have to navigate to even get to where you wanna be. That it's just you know the time save you get from the ice palace bomb jump in go mode is absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you you don't need any keys in Go mode. You don't even need the big key. You don't need a small key. I it's crazy mm -hmm. if you're doing Ice Palace Bomb Jump. If you do Vanilla, you need the big key and two or three small keys. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. Like it's basically a full clear essentially. I mean, you can probably skip a chest or two if you're lucky, but just do the Ice Palace Bomb Jump. 
And if you have done that, you will end up in that push block room again, and you can just push that block straight down, fall right behind it, um, and you end up in the room in the, I believe that's the sixth basement. Yeah, it is. And one thing I want to mention here really quickly, I didn't mention this earlier, is uh, if you go mode this and you fall down in the same part of the hole where you push down the push block, you will land directly on the push block. And what you can do is you can turn down on the push block, pick up the skull, and then just press up and basically walk through the push block to the upper side of it and then just push it straight down. That is easily the quickest way you can solve this without the cane of Samaria. Yeah, definitely. Good point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, after that, uh, you walk down, you get that one jelly out of the way, you pick up two small magic pots, you make sure again and again that you have enough magic to kill Coldstair's shell. You pull the little statue out of the way, you hammer the thingy into the hole, into the ground, fall down the hole, and at the boss you are. It took you about a, a fifth, maybe a sixth of the time that it would take you if you weren't in go mode. Very true. Well. Oh, well, we made it through. We did it. We, we did it. We Hell did yeah. it. All that right. was one. Jeez. Okay, so uh, obviously nice long episode for our fans, uh, but mm -hmm. we do have a couple of fet uh, fetch questions to go over. So let me pull up our email and uh, we'll go through these. The first one is from Eki, uh, and he says, greetings from Australia. I started running Rando a few months ago and your podcast has been a great listen. I did enjoy Tim's story through the latest tournament into the top cut. It reads really similar to the tale of one of Australia's luckiest athletes, Steve Bradbury. In the 2002 Olympics, he was considered a poor choice in his 1,000-meter uh, 1, speed skating event, but won the gold medal th uh, through the following three mishaps. In the quarterfinal, top two progress, he finished third, but first was disqualified. In the semifinal, he was behind as expected, but three of his opponents crashed, which left him to take first. And in the final, all four of his opponents crashed. Uh, have you guys heard that story before? No, I remember yes. that. <laughs> yes, it was, that was so good. Hilarious. That's the power of persistence. You know, you just it, it, all of these races are just races against yourself. You know, you, you you just have to do the best that you can do. And if you win, great. You know, sometimes the stars align and you win when even maybe, you know, your competition might have should have beat you. And, you know, sometimes you're lucky. So that is true. I remember when that happened. That's that's really funny. Unfortunately, I was uh, snuffed out of the tournament in the first round after finally making it in. So not exactly the same, but... Very similar. Uh, I think I think it's especially funny that he's like, yeah, that reminds me of Tim. It's kind of like <laughs> yeah. if he played a race against a couple other people and their SNES started burning and then their house burned down and then they broke all their fingers and then he took first. What a great athlete. Yeah, I, I cannot tell you guys how often I get compared to Olympic athletes. It's just getting ridiculous at this point. Uh -huh. like, yeah, so, sure. So That's why we're starting with all the sports analogies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the sports analogy. <laughs> Because I'm a big sports man. Um, okay, okay, so Eki has a little bit more and actually some questions here. Um, okay. So the first one they said, um, in your New Year's Fetch Questions episode, that was the one where I, that I did without you guys, You, uh, I answered a question about powder not being able to be locked behind itself because it has other uses. And Eki asks, is this true for the other Fetch Quest items, shovel and mushroom? Well, I can say for sure that shovel can never be locked behind 
you know, it can never be in the shovel spot because shovel mm-hmm. also has uh, other uses. You know, it can be used to dig into the ground, and that actually does have some uses, even in randomizer, which we'll talk about in future episodes. Um, it can be used to farm for items. So there's no way that shovel could be locked behind itself. And honestly, for that reason, I'm going to strongly assume that the same is probably true for mushroom as well. Even though there's nothing else it can do, it seems strange that it would be the only item that can lock itself out when none of the other overworld and like inventory items can do that. What do you guys yeah. think? Do you have any? I, yeah. I mean, it, it could potentially like the, the it, theoretically they could decide that, you know, since you can only use the mushroom to turn it into the witch and it turns into whatever item she decides to give you that day. And there's really no other use except for, you could maybe make a point that it's used for a fake powder glitch, but that's a glitch, so I'm sure. not sure if that really counts. Sure. But um, I think, you know, it having other uses is not necessarily the reason why a fetch quest can't lock itself. I think it's it really just simply comes down to a decision by the devs. Yeah. They, you know, it's just yeah. the logic and how it works. They decided that, no, the mushroom can't lock itself behind itself, and same for the powder, and same for a shovel. And that's why they don't. There's no, you know, real explanation behind it. It's just how it is. Exactly. Yeah, That I guess that's what I mean. It's like for them mm-hmm. to have programmed all the other items, you know, there's good reasons for all the other items to not be programmed to lock themselves out because you might need them for other things. And it would seem strange and, to make an exception for just this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and seeing how that same thing is true for small keys and big keys and how that has changed in recent versions there, you know, it's not to say it's impossible that it will never change like that it might you know turn into an option or an actual main thing in the main dev line of a rando at some point if they ever decide hey you know the mushroom has no uses other than making you flute to two and waste a bunch of time to get you know an empty bottle or a hundred rupees or something we, we can we'll just change the logic so the mushroom can theoretically lock itself yeah that's true so i don't know as that is as far as i know i might try to ask around a little bit and if i find out that the case is that it currently can lock itself then i'll, I'll edit something in right here but i, I yeah don't... i'll be i mean if it if it's the case i just don't know about it i'd be surprised though yeah um, okay, uh, second question that Eki has. When watching races, people seem much less happy to visit Sahasrila and EP without the bow than I am. Is this a horrible play that I'm making? The way I see it, there's at least five items available. That's a pretty hefty haul compared to, say, Old Man plus uh, Spec Lower. Okay, well, Eastern only has three items as far as I'm aware. Not yeah, five. but there's Sahasrila's Closet. Yeah, that's fair. So, uh, yeah, so you'll definitely get at least five items if you go and to answer your question Eki, i mean i don't, I don't know because i'm always down to go without the bow that's it's plenty of items it's pretty easy to get to um i'm not <laughs> sure where that's coming from because I'm, I'm i'm into it for sure well so the thing is as with uh, most decisions in random i will personally say uh, people like to avoid double dipping as much as possible and if you go into, like, checking Sahasrila is fine. Not going to, or going to Eastern Palace afterwards, I think that is where the quote-unquote gamble starts. Because if you're going there without the bow, you are 100%, especially if it's a crystal. If it's a pendant, it might be a slightly different, but if it's a crystal, uh, you are 100% setting yourself up for having to double-dip Eastern Palace. No matter how quick it might be, because it can just mirror over from pot or whatever, it doesn't matter. 
you have to go in there again and at least walk to the big chest room and then open up the big key door and go all, you know, the rest to the almost nights. So that's already a time loss. As minuscule as it might seem, that might be the 10 or 20 or 30 seconds that make all the difference in your race, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the higher up you get, you know, in competition, the less you want to have to do stuff like that. And I guess if you're looking at like, okay, what are the chances that one of those five, you know, maybe six items I can get is the bow? Like what what are Mm -hmm. the chances of that? It's not probably that high, you know, so they want to try to put that off and come back when they do have the bow to not have to double dip, as you're saying. I think for more casual runners like myself and probably a lot of our listeners, it's not that big a deal to do that kind of double dip, especially when you're looking at Mm -hmm. five items. It's going to really open things up and make the seed more enjoyable to be routing. Um, So, yeah, that, that probably does have a lot to do with it. It's just that, you know, really intense desire to not double dip if at all possible. And I mean, especially stuff like this really is kind of, you know, there's no perfect answer to it because I could be skipping Bowless EP tomorrow and miss out on like two progression items that I need 100%. Yeah. And you, you know, you could be going into Bowless EP right now and get like nine bombs and nothing else. So it's, you know, whatever feels good for you do it there's no right or wrong that's the whole point of rando kind of so yeah yeah okay and then there's one actually you have anything to say about any of that <laughs> i mean I, I think you guys covered it pretty okay. well okay cool 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 there's one final one i don't want to spend too much time on this because i'm sick of it but the, the final question eggy had was which bomb jumps should i prioritize learning Currently, I've done the IPBJ because I'm not a maniac, and the IP <laughs> hookshot room jump because I accidentally came in without hookshot. I think those two, you got it. You know? Yeah, those two are good. Uh, if you if you're like looking for the next bomb jump to practice, I guess any of the big chest bomb jumps, which the first two that come to my mind are uh, Tower of Hera or uh, Skull Woods. They're not as super beneficial as most of the other bomb jumps, or at least nothing is as beneficial as the IPBJ, so whatever, but... Yeah. There's uh, also the, I guess, one, yeah. the one in Paradox Cave, I, I, it's not very hard, and it mm-hmm. definitely saves you some time. Um, I, I, I like that one a lot. Uh, and then the one I mentioned in my as one of my random resolutions, I really want to learn the one in Spectacle Rock. Um, yeah. It's not easy. It's it's a hard one, but it I think it saved a lot of time too, and it comes up a lot. So that probably be the last one on the list, but it would be on the list. I would say. Yeah, I would I would say so. Well, other than that, I can't really like. There's a couple more bomb jumps that I can think of, but none where I'm like, yeah, you should learn totally. those. Like if you're if you're super out of ideas of what to do, you can start. You know, learning the bomb jumps through the GT hookshot room or of, to the lamp on the right side of GT or stuff like that if you're really, like, bored, but that's not required at all. Yeah, this is actually a perfect question for this episode because we're going to link that GamerCal uh, video in the description. Mm-hmm. That has, I think, five or six bomb jumps that are really the only ones that you need to bother learning. So that would be my list probably is, is whatever's on that list. Yeah, definitely. That that gamer cal video. Watch that and then pick out from that which ones seem really beneficial to you because that's a really great video. Yeah. And so Eki rounds it out by saying look forward to hearing more from you guys. So thanks very much, Eki, for the email. Really appreciate uh hearing from you. It's it's just crazy to me that there are people in Australia that listen to this show. And yeah, big thanks, man. American Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah Australia. Small. 
But. Yeah, it's really cool, man. It's not even cold over there. I, I'm getting snow here in Germany, and I'm like, I have to, like, scratch the ice of my car's windows every morning and stuff. And this guy's probably sitting at home in his shorts and no shirt on listening <laughs> to our podcast. Yeah. Having, like, a margarita or something. God, yeah, I'm jealous. I know. It's not fair. But uh, thank you for supporting the show, Eki. And uh, feel free to write in if you have any other questions. Uh, there's one other. It's not a question. It's actually a correction uh, from... <sighs> <laughs> no it's it, this is really good actually i love oh, this boy. email it's i think I, I thought about maybe trying to turn it into a puzzler but i think we'll just we'll just go through it real quick and wrap up here so this is an email from lumaga and lumaga writes hi all i look forward to the show every other week thanks for all the effort you put into making an entertaining and informative show in the thieves town episode you mentioned that blind may have the key needed to open the door to the big chest logically at least currently in v30 Blind will never have a small key. This will allow for soft locks. The reasoning is that the logic expects and allows you to make the worst possible decisions. The small key, therefore, cannot be on blind nor in the attic. Here's the example. You may take the small key found in a skull just before the attic and use it to open the big chest door in the basement. If the small key is in the big chest, Thieves Town is logically hammer locked in this case, you would use it to go up to the attic and continue. If it were on blind or in the attic in this case, you have prevented yourself from even getting to blind because you will have no key to get to the attic. When running a typical Thieves Town route, if you haven't found a small key by the time you get the maiden's chest, you can be assured blind will have an item. Let me know if you think this is flawed reasoning. Cheers, Lumaga. What do you guys think about that? No, completely. The Lumaga is one hundred percent correct. Yeah, that makes. I, I was so cool. It was like reading that was just like. Uh, yeah, that yeah. makes total sense. It and makes, like yeah. now, now that I think about it, I've never gone like, okay, I'm bringing back back the maiden to the boss room, and I don't have a small key. And I've never in my life have I thought, oh, I hope Blind doesn't drop a small key. I've always been like, you know, very confident that leaving the big key behind is the correct choice in that way. I have, so, I have thought yeah. that, but I, I guess now looking back, it's never happened, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Wow, well, that's great. That's that's a good correction. Yeah, really, really good point. So thank you so much, Lamaga, for writing in and pointing that out to us and our listeners. I think that's really useful info um, to, to consider when, when, you know, you're making your way through Thieves Town. And as I've said in the past, I really like for the show to be as accurate as humanly possible. So uh, if you have any corrections or questions you'd like to ask us, go ahead and send them in as these listeners did to email at gomodepodcast.com. And another way you can send us questions is through our Discord. Um, We have a Discord for the show. Uh, Myself and my co-hosts are in there pretty frequently chatting with uh, fans of the show, um, just kind of hearing about some of their experiences with the game. Um, we had one such uh, listener who joined recently and shared their experience. Uh, their Discord name is uh, Keg in the Closet, and they shared a post about their first seed that they played. And I thought it was really cool to, you know, hear somebody's takeaways that had only watched and now finally played and what that experience was like for them. And I think they even streamed it as well, which is really cool, um, you know, to, to kind of put themselves out there like that for the first time. So shout out to yeah, Keg in the Closet. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was really cool. Very brave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, I thought that was really it. cool, and I think he got a pretty respectable time for his very first seat as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 4.14. Yeah. yeah, that's like for that's a very great. first oh, seat is really good. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever publicly said my 
first seed time, and I don't really plan on doing that, especially not right now, <laughs> but it's a lot higher than that. So uh, congrats to Kegging the Closet. And yeah, that's just the kind of thing that you know we typically have in the Discord, people sharing their experiences, talking about the most recent episodes, asking questions, sharing their randomizer resolutions, which is not too late to do. So feel free to uh, check out that link in our description, join our Discord, um, so we can all kind of chat there. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at GoModePodcast. Uh, if you are active on Twitter, follow us there. We'll give you a follow back. And uh, I like to try to retweet different events and, you know, uh, randomizer-related tweets that, that people are, are putting out there. So that's how you mm-hmm. can get in touch with us. Um, Axe, where can people find you? Yep, so they can find me in the places you just mentioned, uh, most notably the Discord. But uh, they can also, if I'm playing a seed and they want to, follow along and kind of laugh at my uh, silly mistakes, they can follow me on Twitch at uh, SA underscore Axial. All right, and Herfy Durfy? Yeah, I'm, of course, also to be found on the Discord, uh, chatting it up with our listeners and with my fellow co-hosts. And if I stop being a lazy bum and actually stream something again at some point, uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Herfy Durfy. Uh, I'm playing a lot of games at the moment, but I'm, I don't really, I don't know, I'm not really streaming any of them. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Well, it's all good. It's, it's your Twitch, yeah. you know. People people don't mm-hmm. want to watch you do it unless you're having fun doing it. So, you know, just whatever you're into it is, is the perfect time for me. Exactly, but... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just, just going to say that even though I'm not super regularly streaming right now, I appreciate every follow that I get. I've recently gotten like one or two follows that I believe came from the podcast, so thank you very much for that. Yeah, yeah I think I have two. So, again, to those people who uh, followed from this, thank you. Uh, I promise I will try to be entertaining. <laughs> I, I feel like having people watch me play even if it's just one or two, makes me play better. It makes me focus in a lot more on what I'm doing because I feel like there's a little bit more pressure there in a good way, you know? So I welcome anyone mm-hmm. who wants to come watch me play to do so by going to twitch.tv slash temp underscore. Uh, usually I've, I've started streaming a little bit more. Some people were asking in the Discord and I, I gave a shout out uh, the last time I streamed. Um, I'll probably be doing a little bit more this week. So, um, you know, set your email notifications, come by and say, Hey, if you see that I'm streaming and you're free, um, but that's where you can find me. Uh, and gosh, I think this is without a doubt, our longest episode, 100%. Two hours, finally made it so 46 if, minutes yeah, right now. Yeah. If you are still listening right now, thank you so much. I hope you got something out of this that you could use for your next ice palace jaunt and, uh, Yeah, anything else, guys? Now let's mirror out. 